What's up, everybody? Welcome to the fourth draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, or a shell of a host, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside... I thought you forgot your name there for uh, a second. <laughs> my uh, conjoined twin, uh, stuck on you, reference Peter Fairley. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Eric Marchin. Yes, I thought you were going to actually go for a basket case reference, uh, but sadly, sadly not. No, I went with stuck on um, you. Uh, Matt, I am exhausted. I don't know how you feel, but like... Um, this morning when we're recording this, it's the first, it's post-HIF, first day back into a regular routine. And it's Monday, September the 17th. Yeah. I went to a press screening <laughs> because I can't get enough. Yeah. I don't want to, like, I mean, this is like the, I would never complain about um, watching 45 movies in uh, 11 days or you watched 50. I mean, sure, some were pre-screened, but. Right. Um, but yeah, you're, it, it's amazing how exhausting just sitting on your ass and like but you do have to focus on the movies but yeah i'm i'm pretty wiped too man i went to oshawa last night for my happy birthday to my father he is 60 years old Woo! uh september uh the 16th is his birthday i went down to uh shout out to the keg in oshawa yesterday. not a sponsor not a sponsor but um had a delicious steak but uh i'm amazed i even made it uh out there because uh i had a pretty light final day of tiff um and and then I headed to Oshawa yesterday. But yeah, um, we just went through 11 days of uh, the 2018 Toronto International Film Festival. The 43rd I, annual festival. The yes. last one that Piers Handling will be a part yes, of. Yes. Um, which we saw none of. No, we, we, I didn't he was, see Piers once. He didn't no. introduce anything that we were at or, mm. or, or anything. I mean, I saw like photos and obviously. But like, right. it's, it's interesting because going back to feeling exhausted, the one thing you start to, to notice, especially in the second week, is when you're sitting in venues like the Princess of Wales, Wales or Elgin or Winter Garden is that the seats aren't designed for you to, you know, keep going back in there and sitting in there for, <laughs> you know, four to five hours a day because the, it gets to your joints, it gets to your knees especially. I'm feeling like... Are you a, turning 60 as well? I, I am actually on October 8th. I'll be 60 years old. Me and your dad will go fishing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it, like... More so than past years, I was I was feeling the the pain of of, of sitting for long periods of time, but it, it sort of goes away as soon as it all ends, and you kind of weirdly get nostalgic for it. Oh, totally! I already miss it. I was having separation anxiety this morning because I I got up to go get groceries instead of getting up to go to a movie. But um, yeah, you know what? I, I to start off, like I had an amazing festival. Like I um I feel like as much as yeah, it, my ass hurt from sitting in fucking movie theater <laughs> seats. I felt like this year I didn't get as burnt out as I sometimes do. I didn't leave as many movies as I sometimes do. I uh, enjoyed like a good chunk of the films that we saw that we're going to talk about. And um, overall, I think it was like a really solid lineup, a really fun year. I need to... Uh, reteach myself to kind of pace myself a little bit better and have time to do other things than just watch movies i know it's a film festival but right but especially um, the older you get as well yeah i mean i and even time to hang out with friends and colleagues because i feel like the only time i ever really saw people were like in lines or passing through the Scotiabank theater or, or seeing someone on the escalator going up as you're going as you're down, running off to the like, next movie yeah and you kind of briefly talk with people but um i think because if you try and cram four or five movies every day you don't have much time to 
barely you barely have time to eat, let alone right. uh, uh, hang out with people. But I did make time to um, eat some great pad thai. Uh, yeah, eat some great pad thai. Eat some great pizza. I took a night off to hang out um, with Nevis. It was our fifth anniversary on Woo! September twelfth. Um, and that day, you um, saw American uh, Dharma, mm-hmm. which was directed by Earl Morris. And yeah. one of the first times that you you met and, and yeah. saw a movie together was The Unknown. Known. Well, this was a weird festival because I I saw both the new Xavier Dolan movie, which I met Nevis at a canceled screening of Tom at the Farm, and then went over to the Errol Morris documentary, The Unknown Known. Um, yeah, and there's just a, it, it was a really fun, solid year, I think. So um, I had a blast. I am exhausted, but I'm excited to talk about all the movies that we uh, saw. We kind of hung out a lot this festival. Um, we saw, we saw basically I think, all the same stuff except yeah. for like a few things. Yeah, whether it be because I saw s- some movies pre-screened or there back were a couple times where we or... separated to de- to see something else because i was seeing something that you probably already saw yeah yeah which i which i mentioned and yeah. then also like again you know the anniversary so you mm-hmm. um had a couple movies that you were catching up with the, the mm-hmm. in the next couple of days yeah my your wednesday was my saturday and right then, yeah but i ended up skipping um one of those but um, and just a shout out to everybody that we did run into and talk to and and you feel bad when you kind of have to like you know, cut them off or run mm-hmm. off to the next movie or end the conversation. Conversation. See, I'm already really, really <laughs> tired. Um, but it is so good to talk to to you know friends and colleagues that you rarely get to see throughout the year or you know have uh, maintain a relationship via Twitter or something mm-hmm. like that. Or people from the U.S. or yeah, or internationally like, yeah. as well. And and it's it's always a, a good time and it's a part of the experience as well. Not just the movies and not just the interviews and and not just the food. Yeah, you know, totally agree. Uh, so for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, this is the Untitled Movie Podcast. Each and every week, Eric and I get together and kind of shoot the shit about movies and talk about whatever the hell else we want, whether it's me playing Spider-Man on PS4 or watching some nonsense on Netflix. Uh, today's episode, we're basically only going to be talking TIFF 2018 and kind of a fall preview because yeah. of that, um, kind of giving our thoughts on uh, a lot of the films we saw. I doubt we can go through everything because... I mean, I saw 44 films total. You saw 50 exactly. You're damn straight. Uh, So I doubt we'll be able to give you all of that. But uh, strap in. It's going to be probably a hefty hefty conversation about everything that we uh, watched at at TIFF this year. Maybe maybe a couple hot takes in there, too. Oh, there will be. (laughs) Some some hot steaming takes. uh, I... I mean, we we joke about this a lot that we have similar, I think, tastes in, yes. in, in film, and 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 a lot of the times we agree with each other, which right. might, might not make for the the most interesting conversation. Sometimes, hence why we'll eventually we'll um, be getting guests on here to yeah. sort of bring their perspective. But on. there are a few films that we did see where we are on fucking complete polar opposites. I'd on, say maybe so. one or two, yeah, at the couple. most. But yeah, like most of them, we we align. The, we like, align yeah. usually, especially whether it's it's. Um, a strong dislike or um you know praising a film mm-hmm. and and it's exciting and because then there's we some have middle, something that yeah. we have we're on polar yeah. opposite spectrum only a couple but then there are a, a lot of things that i think we're both in the same like generally we like it i might yeah. like it a little bit more or you might like it a little bit more but we're still in that kind of same area so that should be interesting but eric overall thoughts like your festival how how, how it was, was good it? i mean it, again like the first couple of days of the festival is just, you know, exciting to get back into watching, you know, four or five movies a day, um, especially when you're kicking it off with 
uh, Midnight Madness as well. Because, again, like, there's no better audience to see a movie with than yeah. the people at Midnight Madness. Um, the things that get tedious as you move on are, like, the pre-show trailers that you get yeah. for the advertisers. So and- let's start there. What, what did you think of the pre-show? So we, I think we- they should hold the beef. Yeah. <laughs> so um, for those of you, I mean, a lot of this is going to be kind of like if you haven't gone to TIFF. You, it's all not- inside festival yeah, stuff. Yeah, inside yeah. baseball, yeah. Um, of If you attend TIFF every year, you know that they have kind of um, a template of what's before the movie. So someone comes out, a, a programmer um, comes out and intros the movie and talks uh, a little bit about it. And then it goes into the kind of pre-roll before the, the films. And they're always uh, commercials by their major sponsors. So you always get one from Bell. Uh, the L'Oreal ad is always a hit every year. Especially at Midnight um, Madness. Yeah. And then there's also uh, a Visa one that was introduced this year as well as a couple other things. So Yeah. And the volunteer. Um, um, the volunteer videos are always a big one too. Yeah. So. And it's important because you need to realize, you know, that, that the people that are that are you know keeping the festival love, going. Sorry, I'm laughing because I'm like I love that this is our big tiff thing, and we're like let's talk about the fucking pre-roll before we get into the actual. But I movies. think it's important because it's I funny, mean we, like, it's it's a part of our festival yeah, going. It's just like I'm coming for those hot tiff takes of what how the fucking commercials were before the movie. <laughs> no one cares what what you guys think of Green Book. Wait, we Wait. Need to talk about the <laughs> we got to talk about how they reappropriate uh, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, yeah, I've been singing that so much. So the tiff volunteer video this year had. Uh, yeah, no, we are the champions. We are the champions. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. see, and, I'm, I'm already uh, <laughs> losing it, uh, which was funny. So I keep uh, I keep singing that to Nevis, so <laughs> right? And just just around. parts of it because it's yeah. not the whole edited yeah. song. It's just it's like, funny. and it's funny to see like certain like one of them's like pretending to be an usher with a flashlight. Yeah. And you just know, their emotions like, and like trying to they have to cram it into a short commercial. So a lot of the times they're cramming in a bunch of words in a very short amount of right. time and it, it sounded funny but it's but, not historically um, accurate because one of uh, uh, the volunteers rips the ticket they don't do that anymore it's all scanning I, I was blasphemous I know see we're, we're digging deep yeah. into these commercials into the lore of the uh, commercials um, Bell switched it up this year and did I think like the laziest fucking commercials <laughs> well they had a like, couple like, but it was all there were like three different ones I saw but they were just like the easiest shots like one was a shot of a telephone with a voiceover one were some credits and then the other one I saw was something very weird too um but then oh the rbc ones in previous years with the lily how will you live yeah, and, yeah. Like, and the and it's like when when it, our marriage our wedding oh yeah the, <laughs> the lesbian wedding and then uh this year they just did like a how young canadians um uh which was nice but after the fucking like 20th time you've seen these things it, it's it sort of becomes comical and then you use you, you can tell which people are just seeing their first tiff film like because they still get a laugh out of the right. music commercial or the uh and things like that or um not, sir yeah. those are my tips <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> beep <laughs> Ha! <laughs> audience laughs. Anyway, so that was fun. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like um, venues this year, I wanted to talk a little bit about Roy Thompson Hall. I think we man. should talk about. So yeah, shout out to the TIFF staffer for kind of putting together a beautiful setup in Roy Thompson Hall. I mean, um, in, it, that I think that was a big complaint of years past that like your big gala venue had a really terrible fucking experience. Like it looked like the sound system some was shoddy, awful. Some shoddy gymnasium like 
like presentation setup before, and now they've made this really beautiful. For like a high school teacher, like you think yeah. that they were going to roll out like a projector yeah, and like well, it's going to. So it's a huge improvement now. They've built these um, like very beautiful. They're not LED, but they're like these light up kind of orange panels. Yeah, panels yeah. on the side with the TIFF logos at the top. The screen is double the size. They put a new 7.1 Dolby surround sound system, and uh, I saw two films. We saw, there. We, we both saw. saw yeah, so we saw Vox Lux and the Lie there, and um, one was better than the other, but the experiences of seeing were, the both were fine. Were great. Yeah. Like I thought, I think the viewing angles when you're at the far sides still aren't the greatest. Cause but the they're better that, than Princess of Wales. Yes. Because um, we had a problem with Widows where we were at the side and you could see the rail um, like blocking, yeah, blocking the edge of the screen. Yeah, so we had to so move in, uh, during uh, the, before the screening began, which mm-hmm. was good because we, we, we were able to. Yeah, because they usually hold some seats for Rush Peoples. And, and, they give the Rush people that. better seats than the people the reserve that? seating. Yeah, I know. So uh, shout out to the Roy Thompson Hall setup. I think that was amazing. Um, all the other theaters were great. I love seeing films at Ryerson and Elgin and, and Winter Garden and Princess of Wales. Proper masking shout out. Like, that's right. why I love it. Well, Midnight. 90s, right? I, I, yeah, mid '90s, and I heard some people talk about Cold War, which was probably uh, properly masked too. So yeah. you ne- you'll never get a four by three movie properly masked, like other than if you're seeing it at a festival like that, and or at Lightbox if they happen to show it. But Winter um, Garden had some problems though with the audio, the sound right? Wasn't great, yeah. Which I think I've noticed in years past too, where it's a little echoey in there. Because yeah, um, I noticed that quite a bit with the um, Life and Death of John F. Yeah, Donovan, where it was like almost you- at a sync. But I heard from other people that the sound mix on that movie just might not have good either right it might have been fucked up but it was very echoey and like very hard to kind of um here but um no i think uh other than that like the changes this year with the reserve seating i think reserve seating is great until it's not i think nevis put it perfectly i think when or you might have said that earlier in the festival or i'm taking credit for nevis someone (laughs) said that to me and i think it was nevis because we talked about this and and like i i i think it is a great thing and in theory thing because, in theory yeah, it works like if you have great seats it's amazing you right. can show up five minutes before and go and sit in your amazing seat but, but also you don't have to rush like, or stand in yeah, line it's, either it's great and you can fit more films in because you can you don't have to wait in line as long right so right. i do i do genuinely believe it it can be a good thing i just don't think we're given enough choice of where you want your seat to be but maybe that's too much of a pain in the ass when you have thousands of people trying to get tickets uh, sorry, I that was his uh, uh, his uh, beef uh, yeah. burrito there. Getting yeah. ready. Um, so I uh, oh, that threw me off. So no, the reserve seating. Like I, it was funny with our with our uh, industry badges. We get public tickets, and uh, they tend to throw us up on on the third level or kind of in the cheap seats for most of the uh, reserve seating venues, which is fine. I don't but, mind like, it as long as they give us like. A, a spot where it's not cutting off the screen. Yeah. And, you know, I, I prefer the aisle or that first row where yeah. you can stretch your legs a little totally. bit. Totally, but... When you just don't have the choice, I felt like a couple times where I was wedged in the middle of a row, which is usually not where I want to be. Right. Well, then, I wish you uh, could pick your seats. Like, right. I wish that they could, like, the way that you do now with the sign seating at, at, at regular theaters, like even. Like yeah, because it is through Ticketmaster. Yeah. So I don't, maybe that would just cause too much because everyone's trying to get the tickets at the same time. So, I, like, right. maybe it's 
I don't know, like you're going to be, then you'll get bumped out because someone else, you also wanted the aisle seat and I went for the aisle seat. And I mean, but it worked out for us. Like we got to sit together because we redeemed all of the same tickets at the same time. Well, when we were at the, uh, the, the, the Hyatt box office, we were basically in sync with all of our public tickets. So, uh, but overall, like, yeah, I thought, uh, everything was amazing, man. Like, yeah, there were, there were no real snafus. It was a pretty, uh, easygoing festival in terms of stress or having to get from one venue to the next. I was Um, never stressed. Never didn't. I got all the tickets I wanted. The only thing I think we didn't get was high life. Then we had to kind of move things around to go to a P and I instead of a public. Yeah. Which is no problem. And then I think a lot of times there were a couple screenings that maybe probably should have been in bigger theaters because they had to turn away a lot of people. But me and you are usually like, you're referring in fabric in fabric and there was a couple other ones as well um um but me and you usually are there so early that we're fine right for the most part but like i always um, feel that we show up earlier than we need to no matter even if we think we're late oh i know i believe me like there are times later in the festival and the press screenings wind down on the thursday and the friday and i'm there 45 minutes to an hour early and i'm like oh god there's no one here right um which is fun but no man i had a blast i again like um 44 movies 11 days i um i loved it man it was great and i we saw some great films so um we've probably bored everyone in the first 15 minutes of not talking about a single movie that we saw Um, we're getting into the minutia festival experience you know we ate a lot of blaze pizza yeah. We all ate a lot of Kaosan Road Thai food. Which is great. A lot of Kibo Sushi. Yeah. Um, these were our hot spots during the fest. A lot of A&W. Uh, so I probably gained 15 pounds by not... And a lot of street like, meat, too. Oh, yeah. And a lot of hot dogs from carts uh, around the city. I think those were like my five food groups. I, I think I barely saw anything coffee, that was green. Croissants. You had like a salad at Blaze. But I that did. Was had it. two salads during the festival. <laughs> and then sushi was like our healthy food. Right. Just like okay well let's get something that's not awful for us yeah then, with some sort of vegetable uh, in yeah, there yeah and, and then the pad thai had some yeah. beans breath i i, I can't get over how amazing that pad thai was yeah cows on road is really good if you're ever near Lightbox, yeah uh, hit up cows on road it's three flavors pad thai and then Mwah. and then everything else was basically like if we had you know like two screenings basically back to back and we hadn't eaten it would be you know sour patch kids or popcorn. m&ms or popcorn or pop or something like a bag all... of uh chocolate almonds yeah. for dinner once i had some hershey's crunchers during all, high all life. the good food groups high right life, in there some creamy crunchers during high life <laughs> Um, well, it, it was even funnier because High Life is a very quiet. I know movie. I was crunching the shit out of that, and I was like, I gotta put these down. Yeah, I'm like uh, annoying and very creamy movie too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so what are you alluding to, man? I love like. Uh, what else do you guys want to know? What else we ate during the festival? <laughs> uh, had a lot. We of should set up Pepsi, a survey. For Dr it. Pepper. What I, was oh, the Seven the Up Lemon? Was, oh, yeah, that was really good. Lemon, lemonade, lemon, yeah. lemon, lemon is really good. Oh, the blood oh. orange lemonade at Blaze. Oh, God, so good. And then uh, I also, uh, marketing worked on me. I bought some of that bubbly, that lime bubbly yeah. stuff that they had. So, and yeah, that was at Roy good. Thompson Hall. I bought a case of it. I went oh, to my grocery oh, shopping. Oh, afterwards. Yeah, oh, okay. there's some in there if you want. See, it so. worked. I know, it really did work. <laughs> marketing so. works. Marketing works, folks. So, uh, All right, let's talk about some fucking movies, man. So, all right. How do you want to do this? Do you want to go by um, uh, program? Do you want to go I think by... Just talk just, about movies. Like, what do you what 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 is wanna, a, what is a film that you're thinking about? What what do you want to talk about in terms of 
um, likes and dislikes. I mean, we we covered a little bit before the um, festival, before yeah. the festival with some of the pre films. I have films. some feelings on some of the films you talked about before, before yeah. which I will go into. But I think we should give the people what they want and start with people's choice. So the awards, uh, the TIFF awards, came out on Sunday, obviously, right. and. Um, uh, to somewhat of a surprise, because I don't think even in our preview we would have talked about this of being a contender even, but uh, Peter Fairley's Green Book won the TIFF People's Choice Award with right. uh, it, with Barry Jenkins' If Beale Street Could Talk being first runner-up. Yep, and your and, favorite movie of the festival, third runner-up. Al- Alfonso Cuaron's uh, Roma being second runner-up. So um, maybe you want to – do you want to just start with the, the kind of big ones there? Sure. I mean, I, yeah, and I mean also we should mention that uh, Free Solo won uh, – uh, the yes. documentary, which you which, which you I saw, and, and uh, week, your yeah. reviews up at uh, in the seats.ca. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about last week, so um, which I, that makes sense to me. I think it's probably the the most uh, exciting documentary that they probably had. I didn't see too many docs. I just saw the American Dharma. I think was the only other one that I saw at right. the festival. And then the Midnight Madness Awards uh, was uh, the Man Who Feels No Pain was the Midnight Madness. And we didn't see that. No, I didn't. I, I kind of you wish had it I on did. your list. Yeah, though. I kind of wish I did. Um, now, but um, I'll get around to it, I think. Right. And then Halloween was the first runner-up of uh, Midnight Mass, which we did see. And that's I, impressive because that was the only one screening yeah. simultaneously, or almost yeah. a half an hour, uh, in, in Winter Garden and Elgin. Yeah, which was a lot of seats, but yeah, yeah it was... Um, but for one night that's right. open to the public, you know. Yeah. Um, so I say we... Uh, you want to talk about Green Room? Yeah, let's... Green the Room? Green Book. See, God, I we, keep saying that. But everybody was during yeah. the festival. Even yeah. this morning when I was at a press screening... Yeah. Someone said, "Oh, I really loved uh, Green Room," <laughs> yeah, and it's just... like, "Oh, the neo-Nazi, yeah. you know, punk movie." <laughs> I mean, also a very good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but but we'll also talk about "Hold the Dark," Jeremy Saulnier's film yes, as well. So is... we apologize in advance if we keep saying Green Room instead of Green Book. But we mean the Peter Fairley directed yes, film. That yes, yes, it's his first solo film. Um, I think the big reason why this won uh, the People's Choice Award is because the chemistry between Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali is just palpable. Mm-hmm. It's funny. They're such a dynamic duo together, and you know, watching them both. I wouldn't say evolve, but necessarily maybe kind of becoming friends in a the bromance. It's it's a bromance, yeah. but it's not like completely sentimental no, either. No, no, no. But there is a kind of um, it's 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 a nice core movie yeah. in a lot of ways, where like you feel good watching it, and and some of the directing and editing is sloppy. I don't think all the the cuts connect together whether it be yeah. you know like a close-up to a medium shot or you know when they're traveling down the road and you get montages of them going down sort of the deep south i don't think it always works but the thing that is consistent are those two performances and the friendship that is developed over over the span of of a few weeks before christmas so i'm assuming though let's let's hit people with that synopsis though so people know what the hell this movie is right right i started talking about it do you want to I'll try. So yeah. okay. So again, pardon me for for uh, you know not getting. We don't have to be perfect, but no, I just no, no, mean no. To give people a sense of yeah, uh, yeah. What so the films Viggo are. Mortensen plays uh, an Italian bouncer, Italian American bouncer in uh, New York, uh, and sort of he's your stereotypical um, overweight kind of character. Tony Lip. Tony the Lip, or just Tony Lip, Tony and Lip. Uh, he he's. 
I wouldn't say he's necessarily racist, but he is very prejudiced and uh, ignorant. Like, there's a scene early on where Linda Cardellini is giving two men of color uh, cups of lemonade, and he sees these cups in the sink, and he puts them in the garbage, and it kind of gives you a sense that he's intolerant, Mm -hmm. and he's just fearful. He doesn't doesn't know. He's, he's, He's ignorant. Um, and so he gets a job, a hired gig, uh, chauffeuring and driving Mahershala Ali's Doc Shirley, who's a virtuoso piano player uh, through the South on concert gigs. And the way that he handles racism and prejudice is through dignity and honor and not stooping to the level of, um, you know, these really horrible, offensive white supremacists and rednecks and people that treat him less uh, than than decently. And like there's a one sequence where, you know, he's he is uh, the the main act of the entire show. And yet he still can't use the washroom there. Yeah. So he has to go back to his his hotel. And Green Book refers to um, the the places that is safe for men and women of color to stay while, while in the deep south. Yeah, the in the US. deep south. Yeah, like yeah. places that are safe for them to eat. Mississippi, and sleep. It's like a travel North guide Carolina. for yeah for like for um, people of color back in. Yeah, back and in it, it is also very much, uh, the movie is uh, a travelogue as well. Like, it's a road trip film, and over the course of this movie, they do come to this really wonderful understanding of each other and get to learn things. I mean, it's it's very, again, um, overt, but at the same time, you are so won over by these uh, two. Yeah, I'm 100% with uh, you. And, and, like, there's... I keep talking about it, but there's one scene that I find is, is so magical when Viggo Mortensen takes a whole pizza and folds it over and eats right. it like a sandwich, and I'm like, that's... that's, that's like a, thing. a calzone, Cin- That's man. a cinematic... That's cinematic beauty right there. He invented the calzone, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... You know what? I'm, I'm with you. So, yeah, Tony Lip was... It, it's a, it's based on a true story, yes. and I, I didn't realize Or as, that, as their, their marketing, based on a true friendship. Yeah, that's awesome. That's fantastic. And I didn't realize that um, he became an actor after this too, and he was in Goodfellas yeah. and um, and The Sopranos and, and things like that too. But yeah, I'm a hundred percent with you that this movie um, completely and, and and utterly won me over and is so charming. And their friendship is so fantastic, and they have unbelievable chemistry that it kind of carries the whole movie. And I get what you're saying that it is it is very conventional and schmaltzy and 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 um, I can see people kind of getting their guard up because of that. And, and well, it was specifically and, critics because I yeah. think it's a crowd pleaser through oh, and yeah. through. But I can see like going into it, there's going to be cynicism towards you know people that are are high-minded elitist types that are thinking this is driving miss daisy with the uh, uh racial swap yeah and and it, to me it's a lot like planes trains and automobiles as well especially Agreed. the last act of the movie and and sort of having the holiday season kind of um be a part of it but yeah that those performances are great there's some really uh funny moments but obviously not crude in the sense that we've yeah. come to know yeah. peter farley who's who is now this is his first solo film yeah away for from, those of you who don't know this is peter farley of the farley bros who directed dumb and dumber and dumb and dumber 2 there's something about mary stuck on on you which yeah. i mentioned earlier um so it's interesting for him to break off and do something like this and i give him all the credit um to kind of 
make something like this and uh, again like I, it's like adam mckay when yeah. he went off to go and do the big short and nobody was expecting the guy who did anchorman and stepbrothers to become academy award winner adam mckay <laughs> and this could happen with peter fairley now probably too. i mean he's at like, least going to get an adapted screenplay nomination yeah, and, and maybe least. he slides into directing yeah. But although I don't think the directing is 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 as good as the performances, no. But he also produced it, so you, yeah. if it gets a best picture nomination, which like I think that, it would, I think it will too. I think it's a, a completely like fantastic experience from start to finish, and um, it, it it completely won me over. And uh, I don't know what the hell that was. Something everything's serious. beeping in your place. Serious going off. God damn it. Um, I named my Siri Peter Fairley, that's why. Um, <laughs> so, um, no, I just think, um, yeah, like you said, it's never crude, and I could see some, I've seen some backlash already when it comes to there's a scene, um, some juxtaposition between how some police treat him in the South and, and how a police officer treats them in New York later. Right. Um, and things like that, that people, I, I feel like, don't love that it's kind of, um, especially in today's time, kind of, being like, see, police officers were nice then too, and stuff like that. But I feel like the movie deals with. Well, I, I think it's saying like that a, police are more tolerant in New York at that time a, yeah. than compared to the South. I know, where... but I still feel like some people don't like that. And again, right. compared to some other movies that we talked about, this is written and directed by a, a white man, and yes. and Viggo Mortensen is. I mean, Tony Lip is almost kind of the lead, although it's a co-lead, but it right. is focused on his family and and his journey of of. Kind of uh, becoming friends with uh, well, Dr. especially Shirley. the first act. We don't see Mahershala Ali for a good yeah. maybe twenty minutes, half an hour of the film. We so we I, get I, used to him as a bouncer, but also yeah. there's this interesting. The one thing I did find interesting, and I wish they kind of explored it a little bit more, is the relationship he has with um, other members of the community of his community. Especially, um, there's a couple kind of gangsters that offer him work, mm-hmm. and they never allude to exactly what it is. They just say odd jobs here and yeah. there, and he refuses it because he kind of knows what that will lead to and i was i wanted to know more of his reasoning behind that and 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 why he said no and and what he was thinking and you never really get that right um but yeah the movie i think um uh the two leads um really carry it and um their unbelievable chemistry is is kind of what will ultimately win you over in this movie and it's very funny but very touching and like you said it's just a crowd pleaser and i feel like it will um people will go crazy for it and and really really love it when it comes out in november yeah and vigo reminds me a lot of his character from uh eastern promises in this like a nice version (laughs) a nice version and and i mean like obviously he packed on a lot of weight for this role and and you can tell our friend bonnie lawfer made a uh um a good um analysis of saying she was watching his gut get bigger and bigger throughout the movie as right. he ate more and more. But that happens when you're on the road, right? Oh, you're totally. just eating, I mean, you know, even from diner. this past weekend. Yeah, too. yeah, you're eating oh, diner food, you're eating yeah. whatever you can, you know, sustain yourself with for the uh, the time that you're you're driving around or on on tour and and yeah so I think people you know this holiday season when it gets released is November twenty first I believe yeah that's correct um it will definitely be charmed by it it'll probably be a surprise box office hit and it is I think now going to be uh, a, an Oscar contender as well um, I think picture probably both actors yeah but whether or not Beagle and uh, Mahershala are in the same category um, I if I'm universal I don't do that. Right. I put 
Mahershala in supporting, but right because I think he does have a really good shot in supporting to win two uh, Oscars because he's already won for Moonlight, so yeah. he could win for this as well. Yep, agreed. Yeah, um, it's fantastic. Uh, November twenty first uh, won the People's Choice Award, so we already can tell that that people love it, and um, it's a movie that I would suggest to anyone. Really, right? Like, yeah, uh, it's an easy recommendation. Yeah. Like, and we one talk of the about movies, watches at the festival. I think we're going to be talking about other movies we really like at the festival, but it's I not necessarily, necessarily recommend yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. or, or at least to people that might be looking for something that's more accessible. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Um, so yeah, Green Book is uh, is fantastic. Well, the the surprise hit of the festival, I think, because. I think we all kind of wrote it off beforehand, and right. and uh, I, I kept taking it off my schedule and putting it back in and taking it off and, and going, ah, I can miss this. It's just a Peter Fairley kind of generic kind of – It's a vanity uh, project yeah. for him to be taken seriously, but I think the, its heart is in the right place, and it's a feel-good movie that – at the end of the day, you are, you know, just charmed by it. The way that, you know, we're, we were charmed by The Old Man and the Gun, I think. Yeah. Do you want to move into I think we should because that's sure. opening really soon. That's opening sure. September 28th and the beginning of October. It expands wider. So this is Robert Redford's swan song. Uh, he plays a bank robber in his 60s, although Robert Redford's in his early 80s. Um, and he is, you know winning the hearts of the people that he robs from. He is so unbelievably charming in this movie, um, but he's still a criminal. And you get the plot kind of kicking in when Casey Affleck's character, uh, who plays a detective, is at one of those banks that Redford's character uh, robs, and it sort of sets a course that these two are playing a cat and mouse kind of game, and and Redford, you know, cheekily uh, uh, calls him on to continue the the hunt for him, leaving him a dollar bill with his name signed on uh, it to say, you know, come and get me, basically. And uh, he Robert Redford forms a, a really lovely romance with Sissy Spacek. Um, there's a there, the use of montages in this film is incredible. It's it takes place in the early '80s, so the first bank teller that uh, or bank manager that redford robs is gene jones who people best known from no country old men the, the iconic the con- scene the convenience store sort of scene, scene. Yeah, yeah and it that also takes place in the uh, the early 80s as well um but behind all of uh you know the robert redford's last film is david lowry and yeah. david lowry is a director who continues to impress with with his versatility as a filmmaker he started with ain't them body saints he did a ghost story uh pete's dragon which also robert redford was in and mm-hmm. I, I got the chance to interview uh lowry uh for a ghost story last year a movie that we both loved and yeah. he was even saying about the old man and the gun that you know fox searchlight wanted him to make a drama and he ended up making a comedy and it, he couldn't be more uh, accurate on that. I mean, it is a comedy. But I think it was a good choice, though, too. Because I feel like if it was a drama, it could have easily been sort of generic, right? But I think, like you mentioned, the the charming nature of Robert Redford as, as Forrest Tucker is is in, incredible. And it, it, it's, it's such a perfect um, kind of, uh, you, like you mentioned, swan song for, for this actor. And there's old footage of him in this movie from when he was younger and they use in this amazing like, montage of him you know his multiple yeah. escapes and it's and, and it's so well done in the sense like sometimes that stuff can look kind of out of place or weird when you use kind of like um old footage of an actor from a different movie or right. photoshopped photos and things like that but like oh, this yeah. does feel like a 
like a, a wonderful goodbye to an amazing actor, right? Yes. And like and and this film spans generations, but is focused in this in this early '80s time period, and and. Yeah, and even though this guy is kind of an asshole in the sense that he he really just cares about robbing banks, right? Well, that's his passion yeah. in life. That's his love. I mean, um, like but he's, he's so just, good at it. But he's it's so easy to like him. Yeah. And, and and Redford makes it effortless. Like that's the thing. Oh, yeah. People are gonna when it comes to award season. Yeah, people are gonna look at that performance and say, "Well, he's just phoning it in, or he's just you know coasting on yeah, him being Redford." I, but he's giving a great performance I agree. in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and Tom Waits has one of the best uh, little anecdotes uh in the film and you know him and danny glover play his accomplices and it doesn't give you it doesn't give you excess backstory Mm -hmm. you just get that they've always worked together and i think Mm -hmm. that that's perfect as well yeah and i think david lowry's like um even so he's so young in his career but i feel like he has such a expert kind of control of style and like in all of his films and they all have a unique look and feel to them but he is so good at it that like this film like looks like you're watching a film um like a like from the 70s or 80s and just it has like a nice film grain and the and the, the texture the, of the it the texture of the of the movie and the and the fonts he uses and the music he uses and the and you like you said the way that he edits those montages together to music and and um yeah the kinks lola yeah. is specifically i think is is one of the best uses of that song in a movie and i mean if you guys have seen a, a ghost story i mean if you haven't please go watch it but like i just feel like he is just a master when it comes to knowing exactly how a movie should look and feel right like if you've seen the trailers for old man and the gun that's kind of matched in the marketing as it actually is executed in the film and 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 yeah i don't i I and it's a good heist movie too it is it's fun It, it reminded like you mentioned the oceans films and and um uh, but I think even better executed than, yeah. than a lot of those. It's and, very playful. And it is. It is. It's light. It's it's one of the – again, talking about Green Book being one of the easiest watches. Like I could have watched another three hours of this and right. um, it and it would have flown by because I, I don't think it's super long, right? It's Oh, it's 90 minutes, which is why. I, yeah, uh, but it's like, brisk. It's, it's very brisk. Yeah, it feels like, it, like in a snap it's over with but that, like in a good way though. Right. Like it just – it was the easiest watch I think I had out of anything at the festival. And, and there I was just, that um, shot that you really liked in the movie as well where he's wearing the poncho oh God, on the horse and, and I would get shot that at dusk. Yeah. Like, I would get that framed. Like, yeah, there's a there's a moment in the film where he, he has a blanket wrapped around him because he was just shot and um, he's wearing um, – is he wearing a cowboy hat? No, he's wearing his like, – uh, his like a uh, fedora, hat, yeah, yeah, right. But like, it does have this kind of very western kind of uh, throwback feel to it. I think it's obviously a nod to um, to but, him and to Butch and, Cassidy, yeah. and the Sundance Kid, and, and um, Jeremiah, and Jones. it's just this beautiful, colorful sunset, and he's riding this horse as he's trying to get away from the police, and. Um, God, I would just like print that frame and just frame it somewhere. It was gorgeous. It was awesome, and and that's what I mean by like Lowry just being a master of of style, and and each of his films just look like I love Ghost Stories look so much, and I just feel like he completely changes it for this. But right. like it's it's so it's so nice to just any frame you can kind of take to just indulge in it it's 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 wonderful and and it's funny because david lowry has basically said like i was reading an interview he's made two disney movies now back to back yeah because pete's dragon and 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 this uh 
technically and and uh, because of Fox or just well, Fox Searchlight, but but it's also but it's also but it, <laughs> it does tone. have like a a Disney esque kind. Yeah, of Yeah, I would feel. suggest this to like it does. It's there's nothing um, vulgar no. or anything in this. Like it even remi- though he's robbing banks, and... it weirdly also reminded me not just because Sissy Spacek's in it, but of of um, David Lynch's The Straight Story, where right. you have this you know older character on his. Uh, big journey in life and and sort of what he needs to resolve or or continue and um again yeah yeah like there's nothing like this is another movie like we're talking about green book being accessible like i would recommend the old man and the gun to almost anybody mm-hmm. um it's such a a, a lovely be hard little tribute to not be charmed by it yeah right? yeah like um but yeah and I mean, there are there's everything with Casey Affleck going on right now, which isn't the greatest. So it's right. like, but I, I get that Lowry worked with him um, a few times before this. So yeah, Ain't the Body I, Saints yeah. and uh, a Ghost Story and and this and um, I, I agree as well. I mean, Casey Affleck isn't probably the best person in the world to you know want to headline a movie or, or be a part of a production but he also surrounds the film with an amazing supporting cast like even right. you know small roles like john david washington as his partner shout out to john david washington who you yeah. also saw in monsters and men yep. and and uh who's fantastic in black klansman in in the summer um so he he's he's always great with casting big and small roles as well and and i think uh, everybody in this movie uh, gives a really solid performance. There's nobody that sticks out in a in a bad way, and and it's just a fun fun little you know farewell to one of the great actors of all time. Totally agree. Um, it's... We should we should also then maybe segue from one heist to another with widows. Sure, let's go into that. So guys, uh, check out Old Man and the Gun September 28th. So in a couple weeks, you can go yeah. check that out. Uh, yeah, let's go into Steve McQueen's Widows. I think. Um... Uh, a festival favorite for many people, including um, yourself and and me. But uh... McQueen is four for four in my book, oh, and yeah. this is based on a uh, British uh, miniseries from the late eighties, early nineties, in the way that House of Cards was. Um, but you have Steve McQueen, art house filmmaker. Last movie was Twelve Years a Slave, which was also a very popular film at the Toronto Film Festival. Did it win the uh, the People's Choice Award? That year, um, Matt's it won looking at best uh, picture. It, well, yes, it won best picture. Matt at the Academy Awards. Matt's looking this up right now as, as I babble on about it. Um, so it's adapted by Gillian Flynn, who is the author of Gone Girl and Sharp Objects, and uh, they create this really interesting piece of genre filmmaking that also has something to say about class, race, and economy, all interwoven into an incredible. Uh, action thriller that is slick and well made, and at the center of it, Viola Davis. You know, m- much of the film holding a West Highlander terrier controls and commands the screen. Yeah, man. Uh, and yes, uh, Twelve Years a Slave did win uh, the People's Choice Award in 2013. Yeah, so there was a lot. There was there was a lot of hype on this because this is his first like studio film in quotations. Yeah, I, ca- I made a joke calling it an elevated popcorn movie, right? Um, <laughs> the adjective so, that we'll be using throughout to yeah, describe we, other we movies. We keep giving horror. people shit um, for calling things elevated horror, so why can't we use that for other things? Although I feel like when you use elevated, it just means a good blank right or it's a way for people that don't like that genre to say hey i can like it because it's not yeah yeah or the the common (laughs) denominator yeah um but yeah dude uh widows is is 
what I'm amazed about it is that Steve McQueen made a very accessible, very fun popcorn movie, like a heist movie that I would suggest to anyone, but still like secretly interjected his like style and his social commentary and like his art house kind of flair to it. Like it's a weird art house popcorn heist movie and like um and critiquing america as well like that's interesting like this is this is you know him looking at uh america in a very scathing and and pointed kind of way and i think in a much more interesting and nuanced way in a way that's fun to watch than some other movies that i saw at the festival like like you mentioned with monsters and men which i i liked but I felt like was almost too slight or kind of felt disjointed a bit um, with its three stories. And then as well as The Hate You Give, um, which also is kind of tackling a lot of those kind of same subjects and, and both involve kind of a, 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 pol- a white police officer shooting a young uh, Racial prejudice, and, yeah. police corruption. Um, but I just feel like in Widows – it's I don't know like it, it it's just handled in a way that I find way more interesting and way more kind of um, poignant and 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 strong than those other those other films. That well, I we saw. should we should use the example that you brought up right away after oh watching God, the movie. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene with Colin Farrell when he's getting in a car. So he does a um, kind of he's running for office in a yes in because a it's, of, it's it's his father's ward. Yeah, his, um, and it's kind of a low income kind of. Um, ward that like um, predominantly african-american men and women and he's kind of uh helping or or introducing a ceremony for uh uh, small businesses and women of color Uh, specifically like starting their own small businesses so he kind of does a talk for because he's running for his father's ward and then after the talk ends he enters his town car with his driver and And his uh his aide or his assistant and steve mcqueen does something that i think is super ballsy that most uh, studio films you don't see stuff like this but he keeps it's a single take shot where the camera is situated on the outside of the town car so you can see kind of the windshield and then you can see everything um that they're driving past and it's maybe a two three minute long take maybe it felt that long but maybe shorter but like it's a single take from him driving from this kind of low income kind of area where he did this uh talk and it's a single take while he's having a conversation in the car with his aide driving to his home which is in the same ward but in like a gated kind of uh like his like almost leaving to his castle right Right. they leave the low-income kind of area and drive to the nice affluent kind of area white yeah very white neighborhood and then drives into his gated home right right and he lets he's a man of the people (laughs) and he lets the background and the setting kind of do the storytelling and it doesn't really matter he's just talking in the car about his campaign and different things like that or what yeah and it's and it's getting in the, the, the two are getting in an argument and in any other movie it would all be in on the inside of the car and it would just be an expositional scene and that's it like you said the way that you describe that moment says so much without having to say anything at all and that's what i love about it and like and people joke being like oh there's already like a hundred uh film school kind of uh papers written on that scene alone already and yeah i mean i don't doubt it but and there will be a hundred more yeah, it's it's just like I remember sitting there going, "Holy shit, that's like really really interesting and really uh, like a great 
shot choice and like and he he does that countless times throughout the film maybe not um as memorable as as that specific moment but um to your points earlier i'm like it, it's still like a fun kind of like action movie but then has all like a bunch of stuff that you can dive way deeper into and have some deep interesting conversations with people and 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 um i loved it man it yeah the, the voice his voice and his artistic sensibilities come through and that is so hard to do when you're making a studio movie we've seen some great filmmakers you know get lost in the studio system and and make you know a, a generic if accessible or or palpable kind of uh movie here you're getting that but you're also getting an incredible sense of uh compassion and empathy within those scenes and having a very diverse cast and you know a cast of women mm-hmm. in the lead roles is so incredible here and important and you know I said Viola Davis already. And well, she's, she's amazing, amazing in the yeah, movie, but, um, but so is uh, Elizabeth Debicki. Um, Michelle Rodriguez is, is great. A, is great. Right? I yeah. mean, and, and and I don't mean that as a slight that she's not no, no. But she's not before. given the yeah. opportunities that like I I hope she works again with McQueen because McQueen gave her the chance to show how talented she is. We haven't seen her this great in a movie since you know her her uh, breakout film Girl Fight that Kara Kusama directed, and you know you get some moments with her that are fantastic and you know the supporting cast of brian uh tyree henry and daniel kaluuya oh my who God. is kaluuya is so good is in on this. par with javier bardem and no country for old men as this psychopathic Terrifying, brother like... just his stare oh like God. he is intimidating he uh will haunt your dreams after watching this movie completely agree and and we should talk about the cinematography. Sean Bobbitt shot this film. Yeah, uh, the guy doesn't get enough credit, and and still somehow was not nominated for an Oscar for Twelve Years a Slave. Yeah, but he works perfectly uh, with McQueen. But I think the other person we can't not forget is is Flynn. Because the way mm-hmm. that she plays with the twists and turns of this movie um, is is delightfully shocking. Yeah. Like you, you never you're you're never completely sure what is going to happen. And she actually, in my opinion, improves the miniseries in a few ways and turns certain characters' perspectives and ideas um, of what you're thinking there are, and then what they turn into is something completely different. I know I'm sounding vague here, but I don't want to ruin anything. But in any other film, you wouldn't get that. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned some of the supporting cast, but we haven't met, like, we mentioned a little bit about Colin Farrell, who is excellent. Robert Duvall playing, um, his father, uh, his father, um, is, is amazing. Um, Carrie Coon, Jackie Weaver, um, Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson, obviously. Um, and then some of the other husbands were played by John Bernthal. Who's and, in like um, one scene. Yeah, which is interesting. And that, uh, uh one thing that who's not in, one person who's not in this movie, Michael um, Fassbender. Michael Fassbender. And I almost kind of wish he played one of the husbands or maybe the, um, was it Lucas Haas who played the lawyer? No, who played the lawyer? Yeah, Lucas Haas, yeah, Lucas who, Haas. Uh, the architect. Yeah, the architect, sorry. Um, yeah. I, I almost could have seen Fassbender in that role too, but right. maybe it was some Or, or even Colin Farrell's yeah. part, obviously. Uh, which would have been cool, but I mean that's 
that's just like, hey, I wish he would have continued working with Fassbender. Right. But like, uh, again, not a slight at the movie at all because like I think it 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 is um, incredibly entertaining. Um, um, and shout out to again 20th Century Fox, who I think are is the only big studio that does do kind of. Uh, not the only one, but I just anytime we talk about like a hard R rated kind of adult um blockbuster almost and they like take risks on some of these things, like to give Gillian Flynn and Steve McQueen this film in a in a uh, a large budget for it and kind of trust them to kind of make their film on this and not kind of interject kind of some of the stuff you would see in a some studio notes and things like that. Right. Um uh, and we've seen them do that in the past. Like, I think they're the only ones that make big budget adult R rated, like, um, and I'm now, and I'm also concerned because again, yeah. like, you know, Disney's, Disney's taking thing, over. Yeah. Will we get to see something like widows under the Disney owned Fox label? I hope so. Like, I hope they see that like, Hey, we can make our very family friendly movies, but then this label should be for these kind of adult dramas and adult blockbuster films that we're not really getting anywhere else right because everything's in that pg-13 kind of um as much as i love superhero films or i love big action franchises i mean um someone i was i want to give the person credit but they were showing their kid jurassic world and 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 he's like oh my son had an epiphany when it comes to action franchises being like oh they're never gonna kill that guy off like chris pratt's character and he's like a nine-year-old or something right right and he's like my kid's finally realizing this that there's no sense of like where in something like widows um or even in um i will talk about predator in a little bit which i know i know the predator yeah sorry the predator um which is also a a fox film and a hard r-rated action blockbuster for adults but like things like that like they're taking risks and 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 movies that you're never quite sure what's going to happen and um and i know predator is a franchise but everyone who's in that movie seemed pretty expendable (laughs) for the most part and not the Uh, expendables just expendable uh, but anyways, back to Widows. Um, yeah, uh, I keep thinking about Daniel Kaluuya. Um, Viola Davis is just commanding and and such a presence in this movie. And Elizabeth like, Debicki is a movie um, star. You've seen you, you've oh seen her in Man um, from Uncle, Man from Uncle, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. two. Um, but this is like going to launch her in the stratosphere. Like she is amazing. That final heist sequence and and Hans Zimmer did the score to the film as well. And it's, it's intense and gripping. And And it feels like a heist movie too, because they actually spend time on the minutia of like, how are they going to pull off this robbery? And you know, like all the details that go into it. And, and that can be tedious for some, but it's important to the characters and the story for them to pull this off. And to get it right, and they put everything into it, and and you are completely on board with them pulling this off. Yeah, it is very, 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 very good. Now this opens. It was originally October, but now have they moved it November to November sixteenth? Yes. So November sixteenth. Check it out again. A movie. I, we're going into a lot of these movies where I would suggest to anyone. Like this yeah. is a, like this is the first Steve McQueen movie I would probably tell my mom to go see. Even right. Yeah, and it's like, definitely a good starting point for anybody that kind of wants to get into his work that might be apprehensive towards, um, you know, 
seeing hunger or shame or 12 years a slave first although i think a lot of people did see 12 years a slave just based on it winning the still oscar exce- and stuff like that I, I mean i guess still accessible maybe not like it's a tough watch right but it is a great film yeah. yeah and i mean hunger is i remember i've seen all four of uh his films at the festival Same. and um oh wait i didn't see hunger that was- I, I remember seeing hunger and obviously everybody talks about like that 12 minute take between liam cunningham and uh, michael fassbender uh, the priest and Bobby Sands having a conversation and it never breaks. Um, and from that moment on, you know, he's been a filmmaker to watch, but he's continually able to change the game and the way that we, we look at movies and the way that we see them. And I'm just always excited for what's next with him. And, you know, whether it take four years between films or a couple, um, you should definitely give his work a chance. And if that starts with Widows, please go and see it. Yes. It's great. 100%. Um, where do you want to move to? We should that? talk about The Predator since we did sure. mention it. I mean, okay. I was going to say originally Lucas Haas was also in First Man. But yeah. um, we can – see, that's the other thing as well that's fun about the festival is that you see multiple movies where you know supporting actors or leads or character actors – pop up lucas hedges was in like 84 movies he was in three films toby huss was in a few um so it's always fun kind of connecting those dots as well and being like oh that person's in this movie and this movie and this movie um but with the predator um this was the first midnight madness movie opening Uh, night it's it's Directed and co-written by Shane Black, the guy who uh, wrote Lethal Weapon. He co-wrote this film with uh, Monster Squad co-writer. They both worked on that together, uh, Fred Decker. So, you know, he, uh, Shane Black, having been in the first Predator movie as Hawkins, the first uh, um, army guy to get killed off, who tells those uh, sexual jokes to Billy all the time. Um, So there was an expectation... Or an excitement to seeing this movie, you know. Because you're a big Shane Black fan. I am. Right? I, yeah. I I love the kind of machismo ragtag group of characters being brought together in a situation, or you know, buddy duo kind of things, where like he he sort of made the patent on that with with Lethal Weapon. Um, but this movie, Matt, was one of probably my biggest disappointments, and right. the reason being was. Partly because I felt that the action and editing was very choppy throughout. I don't think Shane Black was as comfortable with the CGI uh, and the practical effects of the Predator itself. Um, I think that he handles the Jacob Tremblay character and Thomas Jane character Uh, poorly, especially because they're either punchlines or... Uh, just plot used points. for plot development yeah. to to move things along, and w- what I'm specifically talking about. So Jacob Tremblay's character has is on the autistic spectrum, although they specifically don't say what because they would have to be specific to that. Um, and Thomas Jane's character has Tourette's, and so that the way that they handle those two things, I think, is problematic. Uh, they also use the R word a couple of times, and you can say, oh well, you know, these characters are yeah. uneducated or, yeah. or 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 again ignorant towards those kind of things. But but it's, it's sometimes played for laughs, laughs, which I don't like. No, and, and and it doesn't, and I don't think it's funny. And I feel like, and I'm with you. Like I think I I enjoyed it more than you did. Like right. I had fun with it, and I think it does have major 
problems and I think the last act is very messy and sometimes less is more and I think we talk about that a lot with the Predator movies and the Alien movies and and anything with like a creature or a monster like what makes those first films kind of so excellent is that that sense of mystery or that you only see the Predator uh, a little bit or it takes like a a while for you to actually get a good look at him and it's kind of scarcely used where this there's so much of it it starts to like be really goofy and And the Predator does look goofy to begin with compared to the alien totally and uh, that's fine and I do think there are fun moments in this film and the plot is predators come to earth and start fucking hunting each yeah, other. Yeah, every 27 years. There. The camaraderie um, between uh, the, the the soldiers who um, are being institutionalized is decent enough and that's what Shane Black thrives on. Yes. He can he can do the buddy comedy thing really well. Um, the political incorrectness obviously is is his forte. Which can work, but like I just feel like I don't know, I just feel like some of that stuff that you mentioned will look back on and like we are doing with some uh sexual stuff racial stuff racial stuff that was used in in well, he's also been past. accused of, of homophobia and, and misogyny as well. And I don't think um he gives an, a, a, enough development to Olivia Munn's character either. Yeah, I think she does a good job. But, She's um, good. Yeah. I, I'm not saying her performance is bad. I'm just saying that the character itself isn't written no, uh, as strongly as it could yeah. be or complexly as it could be. Yeah. And then obviously as well, talking outside of the film, there's been a lot of controversy right. recently where Shane Black hired one of his friends to not – play just an extra but like a bit part as a character who's hitting on olivia munn and he was identified by her and then she told fox because he's a sexual yes a a sexual predator hence uh uh the the controversy behind that uh the film and they they did cut him out which was good and good on olivia munn for you know actually standing up to shane black and to fox saying that this is wrong and her cast members didn't support her I think some people have come out more recently, like Sterling K. Brown, and, right? And a couple but not other to people. begin with. Yeah, it was very. It was a very weird situation that happened the morning, morning of. Yeah, the yeah. morning of the premiere. So it was a very weird premiere. And Shane Black came out and introed the movie. We didn't stay for the Q and A. We never but, stay for Q and A's. Olivia Munn and some of the actors went up for the Q and A, but Shane Black did not. And um and 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 because of some of the stuff in the film, like the. I don't want to even say it out loud because I really didn't like it, but there is a joke with Thomas Jane and his Tourette's um, about performing oral sex to Olivia Munn's character, and it just felt really gross, especially with like everything that happened that morning, and and it's played for laughs because of his Tourette's, and I'm totally with you that I – I just feel like this making fun of like uh, uh, disabilities and, and and things like that. And sure, the Jacob Tremblay autism stuff is more so used as like, oh, look at how his smart. He's the next evolution of. And like, that's the problem that's, I had with it as yeah. well because it's like, well, what's it really trying to say? Like, yeah, and it's so it's it's not really clear. And it's no. just it, again, it's it's using disabilities and and not saying that autism is a, a disability or anything either. But I mean, it's just it's using uh, it as a. Cr- structurally to the storyline yeah. and to say that you know we need to involve a kid but there's there's other ways to do it and and it's just a flagrant disregard for people with autism to even not specifically mention what type of autism it is because yeah. there's not just one type of yeah. autism there are there's a whole spectrum and they don't talk about it so this really gets me angry. no and dude i'm with you like i again like 
I really didn't like the Thomas Jane stuff, and like, I like Thomas I, Jane as an actor. Yeah, and and I think it's not again. I don't think it's his fault. No, I, I think, think it's, it's the, the writing. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally with you. And I, sometimes it really works. Like so, going to Sterling K. Brown, who is probably the best part of the film, he makes he, Shane Black's and Fred Decker's dialogue sing. Like the way he drops the f bomb oh, is amazing. So good, he is amazing, and I agree with you that like not enough of them. Tre- Trevante Rhodes and Boyd Holbrook, and they're all pretty good in their like you said in the buddy. Caricature yeah, kind like, of roles, and it, it can be fun a lot of the times, and it's horrifically violent, and it can be fun, but I just it becomes kind of almost too much in that last act. And uh, to your point, like some of the special effects and the CG, and and seeing so much of the Predator and the Predator dogs and the Ultimate Predator, and like it's just like sometimes less is more, and right. I feel like you could have had something more interesting if if it was a little bit more akin to that first film and how the Predator, like they they stopped hunting and there just became generic kind of like let's just be as violent as possible and as as ridiculous as possible and and um even with the opening shot of seeing the ship in space i'm like oh i don't know what we're getting into here well i mean i think that's um, homaging to the first film where we see the ship first like even like john carpenter's the thing right but you see too much like i didn't like him on the ship oh right 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 right. i just thought you meant like the ship no that's fine like if you want to see it crash but like i just felt like we almost saw too much of the predator and their lifestyle and then i don't want to talk about predators lifestyle yeah but i mean we did i don't (laughs) lifestyles of the rich and hunting i I don't want to see that shit i want them to be creepy and like and kind of i don't know it, it makes me appreciate which i already liked the movie a lot i think predator 2 gets a bad rap um in terms of like a sequel it's like so it's not sweaty. as sweaty it's, it's so sweaty danny glover is just so sweaty uh but that movie and and obviously the shane black connection there danny glover being in lethal weapon but um that movie gets a bum rap and yeah. i think that that is a very fun sequel and i was hoping that it would be kind of a return to that yeah in the same way that i think halloween is a ten times better sequel than any of the other ones that have been made. So when you retroactively look at, like, I had fun with Predator. It was opening night of TIFF. I was yeah. very excited. I enjoyed it. Uh, I I still think it's if you like Shane Black and in, in his writing style, and you're a fan of the Predator films, like as much as you were disappointed, I still I I might say like it's it's out right now. It's already yeah. in theaters. So um, I mean, I wouldn't maybe rush out to see it, but like it, it's. I, I thought it was a cheap fun, Tuesday. Yeah, like a fun watch. Like, right. uh, uh, like I do have major issues with it, but I enjoyed it and I I, I liked it quite a bit, um, even with its issues. Just as a kind of forgettable um, kind of popcorn movie, and right, um, and and it is funny at times, but then also cringy at other times. Now, where would you rank this in the in the not including Predator, Alien versus Predator because they don't count? Uh, uh, where would you rank this in 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 the in the? That's four a good films? question. I just rewatched most of them. I didn't finish Predators though, so I think I would need to watch that again before I um, rank them. Right. Um, and. I'm not maybe as big of a fan as Predator 2 as you are. I still enjoy it a lot. Um, right. So I, would you say that Predators then you like Predators more than Predator 2? This Predator or Predators? Predators. I, I, dude, I got to finish watching it. Okay. I'm not, I, again, I the, I don't think anything can touch that first film. Just no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying uh, that either because I think Predator is perfect. But I'm saying in terms of a sequel, I think Predator 2 
is better than people give it credit for. Totally, and I, I'm I'm with you. I enjoy it still. Like, yeah, I'm, I've watched it with you, and and I enjoy the shit out of that. Movie. Yeah, I mean it's, that first movie is 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 is, is perfect. Like yeah. it is a perfect action thriller. And I remember the first time seeing it. I mean, the, the selling point of that film is is Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then the surprise is that oh, he's fighting an alien from outer space. Yeah, it's awesome. So uh, I I don't know. Like I, they're all I think fun movies to me. Like even Predators, the half that. I watched it's, yeah. it's kind of goofy as well with I the kind of cliches that they kind of give all of the people I wish it had some better casting maybe but yeah. like Adrian Brody is like the the machismo guy doesn't quite work no, for no. me but like I like Mahershal Ali who has like, like a, a very small role yeah, and then Walton Goggins yeah. Lawrence Fishburne I think is the most interesting character in that one because for Grace <laughs> no um, because he, he's been there for a long time yeah. and he's kind of has like a cabin fever stir crazy kind right. of attitude Attitude at that or when point. I was rewatching, I didn't even get to him yeah. yet. Like I, I shut it off before then. But um, it's not that I didn't want to finish it. It's just it, I didn't get around. It to was it right before the festival yeah, as well. I tried so. to rewatch them all before, but um, yeah, let's go into Halloween. So the um, night he returns, the other Midnight Madness film we saw because yes. I only saw two at midnight. I believe Same. those two, and then the and then we saw In Fabric then, as well. Yeah, but at a press screening. Yeah. So uh, we'll go into In Fabric after this, maybe to go over our midnight stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, Halloween, David Gordon Green's Halloween. Um, so, a direct sequel to, to first, Halloween. Yeah. Forty years later, Mike Myers is back in town, <laughs> and he is causing problems all over again, slashing people up in the most grotesque and horrible ways. You have Jamie Lynn, Lee, Lee Curtis as uh, Laurie Strode returning again, but she's kind of almost like a Sarah Connor yeah. kind of in mode. She's been prepping for this night yeah. for forty for years. Uh, her family has basically disowned her. Uh, because uh, yeah. she is a a so doomsday this, prepper yeah. at this point, uh, uh, Judy Greer, who gets a great role that's not just the Finally. supporting friend. Yeah. She's they, still playing the, the mom or the daughter, she, but it's but a real like, role. Yeah. Like it's like a character that that you invest concern in, and and you 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 know root for her and cheer for her, and and I hope more directors see this movie and are like, okay, yes, she doesn't have to just be relegated to. The best friend, you know, Catherine Heigl's or Jennifer Garner's best friend in the romantic comedy. Uh, Toby Huss is in this film, um, who has a great line at the beginning. As, as oh, he's great in this, I love him in this. <laughs> the peanut butter thing yeah. is amazing, um, but it's it's creepy and weird, and it gets back to the atmosphere of what John Carpenter created. And David Gordon Green and Danny McBride, who who co-wrote the script, do a fantastic job of of returning us to. Michael Myers. Yeah, and and for those of you that don't know, Eric mentioned it earlier, but it is a direct sequel to the first film. Which and it's ignoring the continuity yeah, of the rest of the two, series. Of two till resurrection are all eliminated, and it's a direct sequel to that first film. And um, and speaking of Predator that we just talked about, I think this film does a much better job of um, integrating comedy into the script and into right. the movie that you're not expecting because like even I self-referentially, think, like yeah. it references its own mythology in a way that you would think oh it's just being very slight or surface level but it actually works in the scenes like the way that they reference loomis in there or yeah. you know jokes about and having his voiceovers from the tape and yeah like, which isn't really him it's, yeah. it's an actor who, who uh, yeah, mimicked sure, his but, voice yeah because yeah. donald pleasance has been yeah. dead since the early 90s um but just off the top i absolutely loved this and like i was complete like i was excited for it but i wasn't sure what to expect and, right. and again i think in the predator we we knew that shane black would into like 
put his voice into it and make it very funny. And I think we were all expecting an action comedy out of that movie. Right. I was not expecting a sort of horror comedy from this. And I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it is a horror comedy. It is still very much a Halloween film. I would, I would a, argue with you. I think yeah. you're right. I think it is a horror comedy because yeah? David Gordon Green, I mean, obviously we, we know him from... Don't um, let that turn you off either. No, though. no, no. Like, no. Horror for comedy, people who are listening. Horror comedy is... Uh, an exciting genre, a hard genre to do. I mean, when I think of horror comedy, the first thing I obviously think of is Sam Raimi and the Evil Dead movies. Um, I think of Cabin in the Woods as well. Cabin in the Woods more recently, but obviously, like, Evil Dead is playing up those tropes. Um, But with this, David Gordon Green, obviously having done Pineapple Express and The Sister and Your Highness, um, but we we, we know him originally from, you know, George Washington and all the real girls and, and things like that. But he adds these, like, weird, like, sides. Like, the the kid who oh, is... Who, the, the, the guy's... The kid's the, name, the, the, the young but... kid who's being babysat is a scene stealer yeah, in this really movie. Is. And, like, you think, oh, he's playing the precocious child of the movie, but he's not. He is hysterical. Um, but it's just... It's also weird. It's just very weird. It is weird. And I, and I feel like that will turn some people off purists um, right yeah and i and i don't blame them but like i think if you go in and i hope we're warning you that like and not in a warning you in a that it's a, a bad it's thing, not but goofy like, it's still it can be sometimes but like not i think in a good way though like right. it's playful but then also terrifying at yeah. moments and like mike myers is still scary he is still scary and i still think it has all of those great slasher moments from like but done for a 2018 audience where the violence is amped up and um, because the original Halloween isn't a very violent no. movie it's again more atmospheric, atmospheric. It, it's built on suspense yes there is some violence in it and it is one of the kind of the the, the first official slasher flicks uh, from the 1970s but this is gory oh like this God, is yeah. extremely gory and going to Michael Myers being scary that it does return to the way that the first one sort of played out is that you don't always see you don't see Michael Myers in full. You always see parts of him, mm-hmm. sides of him. Or it and does a uh the same thing the first film does, does a great job of just showing him in the background, just yes. watching. And you just it doesn't really like you there'll be a music cue like that like yeah. or like or like and he's just like standing in the bushes in the distance. Or I love that shot in the first film where he's just driving the car. Yeah. Where he comes Who across. taught him to drive though? Because yeah. <laughs> he's been in an institution yeah, for half of his life. Hey, he's a smart guy, man. Um and I love like in this movie, um, Gordon Green does a, a a great job of doing that same thing of and not feeling like it's just kind of recycling the same kind of bits from the first film. Like he does a good job of kind of taking the style and taking John Carpenter's style and and, and the atmosphere from that first film and kind of applying it to a 2018 audience and and what they can expect and want from a horror film and and um shout out to jason blum for letting david gordon green kind of make this make this movie and and i think it's immensely better than the um rob zombie ones and and, it's it's to me it's better than all the sequels that have been made um and he literally and figuratively burns down the house of michael myers and what we should expect from a halloween sequel and i think the last act of that film is so satisfying as a horror movie that that I don't want them to make another sequel. I think I that this is the end cap. They should leave it at that. Obviously, 
Jason Blum has already said that if it makes money, which it will, <laughs> yeah. it's going to have a sequel. But I think David Gordon Green and Danny McBride knew the tone, knew um, the style that they needed. Jamie Lee Curtis is incredible in this movie as well, mm-hmm. um, especially since she has to wear that wig. And that is really – that seemed to be a theme of this festival. Everybody wigs. wearing wigs. Wigging out. Um, does incredible work here. Um, and you just really appreciate – all the little uh, jokes and inside uh, trademarks of what John Carpenter created. And John Carpenter with his son Cody and, and Daniel uh, Davies. Daniel Davies, who is a uh, son of, I believe, Ray Davies? Or is it Dave Davies? Uh, son of uh, Dave Davies. Of, of the Kinks. Kinks. Yeah. yeah, so they and they also are all in the band Coupe de Ville's. Um, do the score and it just is a perfect balance of horror comedy that you are going to go on a Friday night to when it opens it opens in October right October the 19th yeah and you are going to have a great time oh watching my God. this I think movie. I might go on Halloween weekend again and see this. Because, yeah. like, I think this will be one of those films that I will watch with the original, like, back-to-back mm-hmm. every Halloween or every other Halloween or something like that. Because, yeah. like, it is a blast. And um, I think it's the most fun I probably had at a film during the festival. And I, it was a perfect audience to watch it with. And they just ate it up. And I have talked to a few people who don't love the comedy elements or felt like they were out of place which i hashtag not my halloween yeah well which i disagree with i think that it it adds like it's it's relentless but then also kind of breaks that tension with the comedy but like uh, but then ramps it right back up right after so as much as like um that kid can be like oh shit (laughs) like when he sees michael (laughs) myers and then it's funny but then it's fucking terrifying that michael myers is hunting them down yeah michael myers himself has never played for laughs and i think that's important to know because he is he is silent. He never like that's one of the things the themes in the movie is that they want him to talk or they they the, the, his his doctor his the new Loomis and they uh, said he hasn't talked in the forty years yeah and that is that is creepy and I think the other thing we should mention that the framing device of this movie is actually very clever especially uh, given the current obsession with media and podcasting is that it's a it's yeah, a, a podcast yeah yeah a true crime British podcaster like and serial yeah and like... these two reporters. Um, are trying to put together this story and sort of they're the uh, the instigators of it. So um, that's how the film starts and then when that score comes on and you see those opening credits yeah. with the pumpkin coming from rotten up until becoming like a fresh jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. It's fucking awesome, yeah. man, with the font and everything and it's just... Uh, and we, again, when you think of David Gordon Green as a filmmaker, I mean, he's a pretty damn versatile guy. I mean, last year he had at the festival Stronger. Yeah. Uh, and now he has this. So, yeah. you know, go figure i know man it is it is really good and um one uh scene i wanted to talk about again i I, i'm always so impressed with um uh, maybe it's cliche for like cinephiles to be like those that single take sequence but uh there is an amazing single take sequence in this film as well where michael uh goes from the streets to uh, bumping into some kids where he goes through a home and and it's all this single take sequence of him walking into the home and killing someone and walking out and going into the next home and, and which it's right which 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 basically hands it basically says fuck you to assassination nations oh, yeah. home invasion single shot yeah. sequence um and there's there's a couple other things in there that i don't want to spoil because i think you need to see it for yourself to just enjoy it but you know what i'm talking about there's one thing that makes the movie and 
There's like, a couple moments where I'm like, how had they never thought of this yeah. before in the series? You'll know exactly what it is. It's in the last act, and um, it is perfect. Like, it is so obvious, but I'm like, oh, how have they not really done this? No, yet? I know it's, it's amazing. It's great. There's a music cue and a, and a sequence that you'll you'll if you're a fan of the original film, and 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 I mean, even if you're not, you should know what they're doing in that sense. And that one, and then there's another moment in that single take sequence that I'm talking about too that I think is like initially horrifying what you think is about to happen but then they they kind of right right yeah, yeah i know exactly what you're talking like, about i'm like oh fuck are they gonna do that and then they don't because, but, but, then they, but they could like, they could have and, and they, they were alluding to it too and, which is i think is better that they went the route that they did because you're like it like you're, you just kind of sink in your seat and you're like oh, oh no God, are they gonna no. do this are they gonna and do this they don't and it's great and when when it ultimately doesn't happen it's almost a better reaction right, right? but then it does something just as bad considering what happens and leaving that thing behind yeah oh that's true too yeah that is oh god yeah it's even more horrifying right yeah <laughs> And you'll know, sorry, we're being very coy, but like, uh, you'll see. I I would love to even do a spoiler cast of this. Of this we should. Film, we will. Like, I think we'll talk about it. Maybe more, do maybe. a Halloween special. Yeah. And like uh, maybe on Halloween, and and um, I'd even like for us to do like uh, you know how some people do commentaries for for films. I think that'd right. be fun for us to do for. Uh, I'd be down. These, uh, some of these things, uh, but yeah, Halloween is fucking rad. It's so good. Like I was, I was. I was excited for it, but a little skeptical because we haven't really gotten a great other than I love Halloween three. I do uh, too, but it's its own thing. Yeah, and like I feel like, and while I still think the other Halloween films are fun, I even I, I I'm, I'm like a Rob Zombie apologist when it comes to those Halloween movies. Like I, I like them for what they are. They're very they're not Halloween. They're films. obnoxious. They're like yeah, like, like the, the the thing I've always had a problem. This is this is going off a little bit, but. Rob Zombie doesn't know how to write. Every other <laughs> word in his script is fuck shit, you know, yeah. fuck you, and yeah. and it's just so over the top and like there's They're like dirty, subtle. disgusting, hillbilly trailer trash. I don't even mind like, that. Yeah, I just don't like the way that it's written and right. and this. The, there's no subtext. Everything is oh, literal God, yeah. and and confrontational to the point of being obnoxious and hyper violent. And like, yeah. there's that in the unrated cut of the the rape scene in his movies that is just kind of gross. Yeah, and like. Uh, uh, un- unnecessary and like, um, but this uses violence in a in a in a frightening way and and I think a much better way. And well, it's like, very menacing. And, like you you know that again there 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 are comedic beats. There's humor in the movie, but there's tension. Not, there's atmosphere, but not with Michael Myers himself. Michael Myers isn't going to break out and do a comedy routine or something like that. No. They keep that character terrifying, t- voidless of any. Emotion. humane or humanity at all and 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 that's what makes him such a perfect cipher mm-hmm. because you don't know what he's thinking or what his motives are agreed it's very very good um if you want uh to have a blast at the movies go see this in uh, late october or wait till halloween weekend yeah and go see it it should be try to see it with an audience because yeah. it is a lot of fun yeah I feel like people will yeah <laughs> will go crazy during during these things and uh, those screenings, uh, very very good stuff. Um, you want to go over the other Midnight Madness film? Yeah, we so we should talk or? about In Fabric as well, since and you know, and uh, again, give a shout out to Peter Kaplowski for uh, programming an amazing uh, Midnight Madness, Midnight Madness this year. Yeah. Him and, and his and fellow programmers that worked with him are did an amazing job. Yeah, so In Fabric. 
Yes. So um, I don't know if everyone's going to be super familiar with um, Peter Strickland, who who directed uh, In Fabric, which played in the Midnight Madness lineup. Um, uh, his previous two films played the festival. Um, Barbarian uh, Sound Studios and the Duke of Burgundy. Yes. Um, the Duke of Burgundy is available on Blu-ray and iTunes right now, and it is a very strange, almost comedic riff on Bergman's persona, where this in fabric is a spooky uh haunted dress movie the literal version of phantom thread as i keep calling it um and how it affects yeah, our friend certain... rob trench had a good tweet about being like those two films probably should have switched titles yeah <laughs> and and it's sort of how this one dress comes into contact with uh either customers or people that find it or use it and how it sort of haunts their lives and changes them and it's change it literally changes it literally <laughs> changes them um it, it 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 dresses them down um what is truly again uh fun about this movie is that it's not a com- it's not a horror movie well i mean it's spooky it's weird it is, but... but it's also a comedy yeah an absurdist it's a horror comedy absurdist monty python-esque yeah. comedy with um lighting and tonally uh violent moments that homage to italian horror like dario argento and mario bava like uh, the whole time i was thinking bloody sunday and um a a lot of stuff like that and obviously suspiria and and the color palette um the style is amazing the style is amazing but i just can't get over how weird it is there's Mm -hmm. a sequence in this movie involving mannequins that when if you get the chance to see because i don't know what its distribution will be. It didn't get picked up at the festival, which isn't surprising. I know IFC handled uh, his first two films. And Someone it, will probably grab yeah. it. I don't know how wide like, This of is one of those movies that I wouldn't recommend to everybody. Um, because I was even talking to a couple people that I know about it in a line for Green Book, of all things, that had just came from, from, from the film. And, uh, yeah, it's part horror, part comedy. But it's not horror. Like, it's not scary. It's more... Um, spooky and weird and like the practical effects that they use in this film could come off campy to some but I think that works perfectly I mean when you see this floating red dress in the air it's just it's ridiculous but at the same time there's something about that that really works I think my favorite moment uh, in that movie is when the dress is in this closet and it's moving back and forth Screech- on and like screeching that kind of like cringy like yeah because it's on a coat board. hanger yeah, a metal coat hanger. um uh marianne uh, jean baptiste uh who plays the first person to come in contact with the dress is fantastic she's an academy award nominee was in uh mike lee's uh, secrets and lies um even that store we were talking about halloween 3 i would just the, was gonna the ads that. in those uh those infomercials that they have are are incredible Yes, I um it it alludes to the the um Silver Shamrock ads in uh, it, like that's what it reminded yeah. me of when I was when I was watching them which we just mentioned in Big our, giveaway uh, at 9. Yeah. And then uh <laughs> yeah, these ads for this department store are just awesome. And like again, from the moment the film starts when the score comes in and that in fabric title comes on and 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 you just I was in love from the minute it started and it is absurd and and very funny and completely ridiculous, but um, still eerie at times, and, yeah. And uh, like again, I don't think it's very scary, but I don't know that's necessarily what I was going into um, expecting. But you never know what 
what you're going to get with him completely other than it's going to be really weird and probably morbid in some ways. And I was even reminded, I mean, obviously we're both David Lynch fans. There's there's yeah. moments in there that feel like they could be scenes from uh, the Twin Peaks, The Return, especially with uh, one of the people that works at the store, her nightly routine and where that goes, um, and the Quai brothers. So it's, it's, it's very um, – weird and strange on its own way and it doesn't let you in you just have to enjoy it for what it is and i think visually it's a stunning piece of filmmaking i think the cinematographer is is ari wegner uh i'll have to look it up um while you're looking that up yeah i i uh i think we both had a really good time watching this movie and laughed consistently throughout yeah i think it was one of the surprise hits as well because like i mean we it was in a tiny theater at the pni screening that we went to but um it was People got turned away, like at least press and industry people, and then they had to add a couple screenings of it. And then I'm pretty sure it, played... it was for the critics, not the fans, yeah. Matt. Uh, it played fairly well at, at Midnight Madness, I think, as well. And I would have liked to see it with that um, that audience, but uh, um, I'm glad we kind of got it. Uh, uh, we saw it early in the festival. Um, looking up the cinematographer now, I have IMDb open. Yeah, Ari Wegner, who yeah. shot. Um, I'm bringing up his pro. Her. Her, sorry. My apologies. Uh, In Fabric, The Girlfriend Experience, shot seven episodes of that. Um, uh, Trespass, oh, that's the short. Oh, Lady Macbeth. Oh, there there you go, yeah, because I really like that as well. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, it doesn't have a release date and uh, distribution as of yet. But I mean, Gwendolyn Christie, is yeah, from Game of well. Thrones as well. And I didn't recognize her at first because of the wig Star she's Wars. of Star. Yeah, I was going to say well, Game of Thrones <laughs> because I didn't recognize the wig that she was wearing. Yeah, again, wigs, wigs. She's very are... tall. Yes, very tall. Yes, I think that's been mentioned once or twice yes. before. Um, but she's also very funny as she's great. Uh, Marianne John Jean Baptiste, uh, the. Her, her son. son's uh, girlfriend, and there's even like a thing with undergarments that's that's hilarious. And then it's kind of a it's not really an anthology movie, but there's kind of two stories in one because the dress goes from a person. To if person. I was gonna say one thing, I don't think the second story is completely necessary, right? Um, but there is and- a great joke about the guy who kind of first wears it um, and how he kind of seduces people with his. Sort of jargon because uh, he's a, uh, machine, a machine, uh, washing, a washing machine, machine mechanic, repair, and, repairman, and the way that he talks about repair—it's it's it's, so weird. It's very yeah. erotic. Let's yeah. just say that. And I just, yeah, if I was gonna say anything, it, I, I was like, okay, maybe we could have done without that second story and just focused on. But I guess you do want to show that the the dress continues to haunt people. Yeah, it's and, and it pays off in one of the final shots of the movie that kind of connects what. Um, this store is or underneath the store. Yeah. Um, and I think that works really well. Yeah, I agree. Um, so it, 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 it overall, I would say it's, it's probably his best film. Yep. As well. I mean, um, I, I would love to go back and watch, um, Barbarian Sound Studio because I had a blast same. with that. Especially well. with the nature doc that just shows yeah. up randomly and you're oh, like, God. what is it? Is this a part of the movie? And I think that, that film is almost more memorable to me because I just was not expecting, like, I had no idea at that point about, Peter Strickland and, right. and 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 I think that completely caught me off guard. But then I was like, oh yeah, I'm into anything this guy makes. Yeah. Like as much as I don't, I don't love Duke of Burgundy, um, but I appreciate its weirdness. Right. And, well, the um, human toilet scene is amazing. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, with with Barbarian and Sound Studio, the other thing I really love about that movie is um, I, I don't know was it the same year that uh, in in a world came out because it dealt with voiceovers and dubbing and the way that it plays with dubbing right. yeah. uh, in that movie, especially you know having a British. Um, sound designer come into to Italy to do dubbing is really it's just, it's it's a perfect uh, uh genre piece in in that way like it's it's one of those things you don't usually see in horror movies or horror comedies so it's very macabre and very uh uh eccentric at times but those eccentricities really work comedically speaking um agreed uh do you want to stay in the genre territory and maybe go into hold the dark yeah so hold the dark is uh gonna be on netflix this week i, I believe right? yeah next yeah. friday or this friday this friday yeah this yeah. friday yeah so um, jeremy saulnier's follow-up to not green book but green room <laughs> yes and uh he also did blue ruin and murder party uh this would probably in my opinion be his most mature film it stars uh, Jeffrey Wright as an author and sort of his expertise is in uh, wolves and wolf packs and animal behavior and he gets a letter from Riley Keough's character she says that um, her son was taken by wolves and could he come to kill the wolf uh, in this small Alaskan town. town that's kind of you know like when you first see the opening shots of the film and him coming down you think insomnia right away or mystery alaska mystery yes mystery <laughs> alaska um especially with the time i difference. just think of the new york rangers you know fighting you think off of those, russell crowe those fighting off those wolves um russell crowe fighting people around the world um but you know like the way that the the time differences work how like at four, 6 p.m it could feel like midnight there because the sun sets at three in yeah the afternoon. yeah and so wright's character goes in to investigate and kind of stumbles into a situation that is much bigger and weirder, weirder and, darker. And, and and culturally um defined by that area um by the first nations living there and the thing that I loved about this movie, and I think you did as well, is that you can't predict what this movie is or what it's where it's leading to. And I I completely agree, and I think that's what's so captivating about it because it is a very slow movie. It's, it's a slow just, burn. A, that's it for is sure. a slow burn, but I feel like its weirdness and its unpredictability is what keeps you kind of um, enthralled and, and captivated by by it. And I fucking loved it man like i i know you were like man i'm not sure if you're gonna like it because it is tonally sort of it's paced differently than his other films and i i do think it is is similar in its pacing to blue ruin which i recently rewatched before the festival and and more methodically uh paced and 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 the slow burn but yeah man i think um i think this movie is rad and like it's it's awesome and and i think it's one of netflix's best best films and we'll talk about another netflix movie that i don't necessarily agree with this will be a hot take but i know that you think is probably i know you think is their is their best film but i think this Um, is one of their best too yeah i I loved it yeah yeah and i think they're getting better and better and as much as i don't like the other movie that we're going to talk about um I just don't think it's my kind of movie. And that's that, fair. That's, that's why. But Hold the Dark is extremely my shit. And I just uh, – yeah, the way that it gets into this 
I, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but because like, the less you know, the better, and it, and it has a, a stronger effect on you. Yeah. Even if you've seen the trailer, you're that's not the movie you're yeah, getting. Like is, you'll you're, see, like with the wolf masks and some of the yeah. weirdness and stuff like that. But but uh, it's a Ale- surprise. Alexander Skarsgård plays the boy's father, uh, Riley Kilo's uh, Kilo's husband, and he who's is, on uh, leave in in the Middle East as yeah. a soldier, and you kind of and he returns home to try and also investigate his son's disappearance, and uh, he kind of or cro- is he and he kind of crosses paths with um um jeffrey wright and and also james badgedale who plays the kind of sheriff for the the, yeah he's the town um, sheriff who's who's still kind of young like he's in his 40s um and and he's kind of dealing with the community with two with with the segregation of the community because it's the the way he's the sheriff but they're like an hour away right like the small town kind of doesn't really have like they're very um uh, well we're also talking about like how you know there's the the more affluent white yeah. community and yes. then you have the first nations that feel you know the the way that they've been treated in the past is still very much segregation and it's there and yeah. you see it and that's the other thing that i thought was really mature about the movie is that it, it it looks at those things not just as allegory but as actual problems within a community like this like there's one sequence that is one of i think one of the finest shootouts Oh in my recent God, memory um but the scene before that where the standoff comes into play um and the conversation that him and this other gentleman have um about you know like you should like james bad dale's character basically says like you should be grateful for what you have or that kind of thing or like yeah. we've been trying we've been trying it's yeah. like well, well trying doesn't it's not good enough it's not right. enough and so he's tackling some of these issues with with an, an honesty and an earnesty that you know doesn't sound like it's condescending in any way um but at the same time you don't really again know where that's leading and um it feels like the mystery doesn't reveal itself even at the end like no, you, I, you still feel like there's, there's an ambiguity kind of, yeah, to it exactly which i love like i i i think i i think i get the ending which we can talk about um, yeah. off air but because we haven't really gone into that but um, and you made a great point when we were talking earlier too of that you don't really see um, kind of um, leads in in Jeffrey Wright's kind of age group almost right. like that. Like it, it is very much his film, and and uh, and I've compared this, this sort of to the Gray, obviously with the, well James um, Badgedale yeah, also being yeah. in both, and and um, they shot I think part of uh, the Gray in Alberta and and Calgary because they shot this in Alberta and Calgary and and mm-hmm. yeah I just want to go talk, mention that again with 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 Jeffrey Wright because we don't see the middle age to elder men and women getting leading roles in bigger in budgeted movies movie, yeah. yeah and it actually shows it in a way that like he's it, it never it never again you know uses it as a crutch or says like oh he's too old to do something but it does say like. You know, like he's spending all that time out in in the woods and in the cold, and he's getting sick, and you know, you you feel it's really tough on him. Yeah, right? you feel the world weariness in his voice and in the way that he, you know, holds himself together. Like even when he's wearing his you know onesie pajama uh, ensemble in bed, like you, like you you feel that okay, yes, he is of a certain age, and you just don't get that in movies, especially well, at least uh, studio films. Mm-hmm. Um, it still has um, Salni's kind of uh, brutal ultraviolence in it at times. But in smaller um, bursts. Yes, and it's very impactful and very memorable and very brutal and um, intense. Yeah, that shootout sequence that you're talking about that happens about midway through the film um, 
really is i think paced perfectly because it is a slow burn but then that one sequence is 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 insane and just some of the most it's like the wild bunch in one moment yeah it's crazy and and it's so well executed and and so brutal and so violent and and just uh yeah i think and again it's just shocking like you're not expecting no and there's a couple moments in the film that i was just not expecting at all (laughs) like i remember like you're kind of like it is a slow burn and you can i can see people kind of um just and then there's just this this turning point where it, it you're just like oh shit what just happened right now and then like as it goes on and and it some of the things are revealed and and as jeffrey wright kind of is unraveling this kind of sort of pseudo mystery but just kind of wondering what's going on in this town and with these with these people and and what happened with this kid's disappearance and um, and you wonder like how like what connotation is is being suggested whether it be supernatural or um a conspiracy or a cult and and it keeps you guessing and i think that that's what really works and and like you said like it's a it's also a meditation so i think you need to be patient with it and let it kind of wash over you in a way to kind of be completely engulfed in it like if if you're expecting green room don't it's not going to ramp up the antics as soon as you get to you know, a, a major set piece. Like you need to be on its wavelength, which is a little bit slower, a little more monotonous. But I think that that works. And weirdly, I think he is borrowing from a filmmaker like Terrence Malick, where yeah. it can be very poetic at times. And uh, it, it again, like kind of uses the scenery and the environment to play with genre uh, in a very. Uh, practical and brutal kind of way because a lot of the effects in this movie are in camera shots like yeah. even the wolves are all for the most part real or if they're not it could have it fooled me yeah they look great and uh, i think it's a fantastic movie one of my favorite things i saw at the festival uh one of netflix's best films uh up there with okja and another film that we'll talk about that yeah again. well in the mirror stories uh, too. oh yep exactly and i do think netflix it's interesting their their choice. Excuse me. Um, the, I I I made a joke during the festival that Netflix makes movies that they're basically daring you to finish. Right. <laughs> like, well, you you said that after watching uh, the Outlaw King. Yeah, like Netflix's whole slogan for their film programming is like, "I fucking dare you to finish this movie." <laughs> like, and I feel like a lot of these films are going to be tough to watch at home, which is interesting because. You're so more, much more inclined, I think, to just shut something off, right? Like, right. Or, or be on your phone, or, or disinterested, or, um. So, I, like again, I probably would have shut Outlaw King off, um, if I watched that at home. Twenty minutes and, into it, and there is a film that I did not finish at the festival, which ironically I probably will finish once it's on Netflix. Right. Um, we should also mention that they're, they're. I mean, obviously. This year in particular, they're going to be really campaigning awards-wise. But even just the logo has changed with yeah, just which the I end. think I don't know if that's only going to be their theatrical releases because I put on uh, In the Land of Steady Habits, um, which I'm assuming had that same intro if you saw it at the festival. But when I watched it at home, it just had the like right. the Netflix thing. So, or, do you, or do you think um, that maybe it's for festivals there. only? It might be for festivals, or I think it's their theatrical opening, right? Like, if you're watching a film, I think they probably thought it was awkward 
when you went to see a movie in a movie theater and it just went like the same thing that you saw at home and it was right. just kind of because then you're just automatically thinking i could yeah. just be watching this where now they have a much more cinematic opening like you would see from a big studio right like you, even amazon had a better intro when it came to like uh going to the yeah the rolling out of the yeah, the, the, the street to the the, yeah. the matinee theater with yeah. the marquee on top and then um i think their new intro for these films are is more akin to a big studio film right like a right. universal opening or that fox opening and it, it's this it also kind of has like i mean because it's another letter but it almost weirdly remind me of like criterion at first yeah with yeah with the c coming in but this yeah. is like almost a rainbow that turns into a big red n right um and has a a, a score in the background and it, it's 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 better and i think they're trying to like again i think people notice when it says netflix presents when the movie starts but i think it's almost like tricking people right when you go see something so they're not just like oh i could have just watched this at home right <laughs> or uh, or something like that and but, it'll be really interesting to see what how that's handled with the irishman when that comes out because i feel like that's going to be the ultimate test out of any filmmaker that is that has done something for right. Netflix, Martin like, Scorsese is the one where it's like he's always been. You know, you see a movie in the theater, but yet you know this is a Netflix owned right, production. and that'll be interesting with the marketing, right? Because I feel like um, even in in mostly any film that's marketed by Netflix, it's marketed as a Netflix film and not so much a film by the filmmaker. Like it's like you see with tours and, and different things like that you scorsese and even i mean Jer- jeremy Solney is not really a, a huge name yet but um he will be uh yeah i think so but like it's just going to be interesting of how they they market those films right because um they never usually put the filmmaker's name on it because i remember people were kind of joking about it when even when a death note came out and, and different things like that like most of their films you don't see the filmmaker's name on the posters or the marketing at all right so um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the Irishman and and and, and things like that because it, it is always usually a Netflix film and not a filmmaker's film. Well, Scorsese's name is big enough where I think they will use. His yeah, name because it's a brand it. yeah. onto itself now. Yeah, um, where it's like you know a Martin Scorsese movie means something. Where like you know like you were saying, Jeremy Saulnier is known in in the festival rounds, and people have obviously seen at least green room at this point or people would if you were referencing his movies i think green room would be the most obvious pick that people might have seen but by the name recognition it's not the same you know if but if you have a spielberg or scorsese or coen brothers which the coen brothers have the ballad of buster scruggs coming i think that those are right they will use their names right you'd think but i'd have to go back and look you can even tell what the trailers that they're making are slightly different for these bigger filmmakers and things like that too right yeah um well and and since mudbound i think you know they really got a a taste of um, awards well not just that but like the same kind of acclaim and recognition that the theatrical route has because that movie, I mean, did get nominated for a few Oscars. So it, and I mean, before that they had, uh, documentaries that were being nominated, but people don't take that as seriously. (laughs) Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see how that, uh, that goes. Right. Um, so yeah, hold the dark will be on Netflix. Um, this Friday, September 21st. Yes. It's pretty dank, Um, Matt. It's pretty dank. It's really good, but try to uh, like, just know it's a slow burn. It's it's very dark, twisted, um, creepy, 
um, with bursts of violence and yeah. action. And a tribute uh, to the movie Mystery Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I want to take a quick break. Um, I, and then I think after the break, we should come back and maybe talk about uh, a big theme of this year's festival, which is like the, the pop star uh, kind of. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So there was four different films at the festival. That One of which we of... didn't see. Sure. But, right, um, but we'll get back to that after an I intermission. four or five, yes. Let's take a quick break. I'll play a TIFF commercial for everyone, and Ooh. you guys can do that. And we'll be back to talk about uh, kind of some pop star movies and much more TIFF stuff. This is going to be a long one. Strap in, everybody. Mama, I'm leaving my job. For more money? No, I'm going to volunteer. Overseas. For three months. Clearly. What about your career? How will you live? You write the story. We'll help bring it to life. And we are back. Uh, so, Eric, before the break, we talked a little bit about um, Hold the Dark and some genre movies. Let's switch gears and go into uh, a kind of a theme that we saw at this year's festival, which is a bad romance, perhaps. Yeah. Which Roma, is... <laughs> Roma. No, sorry. We'll talk about that soon too. Uh, going back to Netflix, but uh, yeah, there was a bunch of films that all kind of revolved around kind of a similar uh, narrative t- yeah. structure. The, the, the idea of the, uh, self-destructive rock star or pop star, pop star or punk star or uh, teenage idol or coming into fame. So yeah. the ups and downs of the music industry becoming famous, becoming and famous, energy, and yeah. what that means, and what that means to the public and their self persona and the the persona that they're creating, um, and whether or not that they can maintain their identity um, or what they have to create to become famous or maintain their um, uh, sort of mainstream or or fan base. So yeah, there was there was about you were saying four of them, right? Four, so right. a star is born, which is a, uh, the fourth remake, fifth if you count uh, What Price Hollywood, directed um, by Bradley Cooper, starring him and Lady I was Gaga. Gonna say, directed by Bradley Cooper, produced by Bradley Cooper, co-written by Bradley Cooper, with and songs, songs by Bradley Cooper. and uh, <laughs> Willie Nelson's uh, uh, son, um, Willie Nelson's horse, <laughs> and then uh, you have the punk rock. Alex Perry Ross. Am I saying Alex that? Ross Perry? I always do that with the three names. Alex Ross Perry, mm-hmm. uh, her smell with Elizabeth Moss as a punk rock singer, kind, kind of, of like Courtney Love. Courtney Love and Holes in the nineties, but it's not a biopic. Um, then you have uh, Bradley Corbett's Vox Lux with Natalie Portman as a pop singer. Uh, kind of like a Sia because she writes the music, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, a surrogate of her. But in, sort of, but but, but I mean the, more so the music. I don't the mean music, the character yeah. herself. I, I mean the movie is a portrait of the 21st century, as it's yeah. dubbed at the end, um, and sort of deals with mass media and massacres and manipulation and exploitation. Uh, and then the one we didn't see, so we can't really talk too much about it, is Max Minghella's uh, Teen Spirit, which is not a Nirvana movie, but it's a about a pop star played by Elle Fanning, um, who uh, 
gets a chance at stardom and fame. And Wild Rose, though. Oh, and Wild Rose. Yeah, I completely There's forgot five, about Wild Rose, man. which I saw, yeah. which I guess says something. Uh, Wild Rose uh, with Jesse Buckley, who was yeah. in Beast last year, another uh, TIFF film, and was one of the rising stars, plays a Scottish country singer not country and western she'll correct you her character um and her thing is it's you know three chords in the truth and she's trying to pick up the pieces um after being released from jail and sort of trying to find her way um and it's she sees nashville pardon me nashville as the place to go for um stardom instead of going to scotland because when you think of scotland you don't necessarily think of uh, uh country music um, and it's a kind of feel-good movie, but I, I'd say the performance is better than the film itself. And it reminded Fair. me more of like an MTV movie from the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. I didn't see Wild Rose or Teen Spirit, but that's five films with all sort of similar subject matter. All about female uh, pop stars or musicians and, and things like that, which I thought was kind of interesting. Right, being shaped and tailored by mm-hmm. a male-dominated industry. Yeah. Uh, so let's kick it off with the Star Is Born. I think because I think pre-festival. Are we um, in the shallows right now, Matt? Yeah, um, pre-festival. I think everyone thought this was the front runner for the People's Choice, and right because um, it already had played at Telluride in Venice. I believe so. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it, uh, it played at one of them. It was because one of the most anticipated films yes. of the festival. Yes, Sean um, Penn has been talking it up since seeing it earlier this year. Did you hear the other stuff he? talked about today yeah i saw that the me too I, stuff yeah it's, that, that i was just referencing with sean penn earlier this year he said a star is born is one of the best movies he's ever seen cool um thanks sean penn yeah um so yeah um you want to give the elevator pitch of i mean if again this is the third remake of the fourth, fourth well fourth. fifth again if you count, count there was here. film yeah. from 1935 uh what price hollywood except it wasn't an alcoholic uh, right. singer who doesn't marry uh, the the right. lead uh, character. So you have Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper. Um, he is a alcoholic country rock star type who sounds an awful lot like Sam Elliott, who plays his older brother. That's true in the movie. Um, who falls in love with Lady Gaga's. Um, uh, she plays basically like a, a, a waitress kind of type character who sings in drag bars. And one night he kind of stumbles upon her act when she's say she's singing um, Edith uh, Edith Piaf, I believe. I'm not sure. Okay, well she she well it's, it's 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 Le'Veon, uh, no, Le'Veon Rose, Rose yeah. French uh, kind of music, and this catches uh, his eye, and the two kind of begin a really. Um, sweet courtship it, it it ends at a cop bar where uh she punches one of the other patrons yeah. for asking for a photo with cooper who's at this point in his career at the top of his jackson maine uh, jackson maine who's at the top of his game uh they go to a grocery store and get frozen peas and wrap it around uh he wraps it around her arm to sort of uh, beat the swelling and inflammation. And they stay up all night talking. Yeah, and, and this and... is kind of, even though this seems like a minute detail in the plot of it, it, I think, is one of the best moments in the movie, and it really creates the bond early on of what, you know, their friendship and love affair will be, and he does see something in her. Like, he's not just 
using her for you know sexual advances like he actually does support her and wants her to become a great musician because he sees something in her that nobody else does Mm -hmm. and he's not just using her yeah exactly exactly and he's always straight with her like he he will say like you know this this direction that you're going in, I don't know about it. I think it's kind of bullshit and it ruins your talent or capabilities or it's not worthy of you. Um, and and then the second half of the movie, once she kind of comes into her own, becomes more of a melodramatic, histrionic piece of filmmaking where the two are struggling because of his alcohol addiction and him trying to keep afloat while she's having a career um, burst. It's sort of a big breakout. I mean, we see her on SNL. We see her at the Grammys. Um, She's become Allie, the, you know, one name uh, star in the way that, you know, Cher or Madonna is. And again, you know, the industry around her is trying to shape her into this pop star and the music that she's, that she loved or, or sort of, you know, hooked Bradley Cooper into was not that at all. Like it was more vulnerable and intelligent and emotional and sincere and Bob Dylan-esque. And mm-hmm. it, it, so like that more singer songwriter kind of. Yeah. Stuff. So she's losing her voice to become famous and he sees that. And then he's having problems with alcohol addiction and destroying himself and self-destructing and everyone around him is, you know, not doing anything. I think his brother played by Sam Elliott is trying his best to kind of keep him afloat. But even that relationship becomes kind of uh, torn throughout, especially when it Mm -hmm. gets heated about their father. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I really like half of this movie. Right. Or I I still think it's pretty good. Like, I I think I liked it more than I even thought I was going to, but um, I'm torn because I'm kind of in the middle because I do think, that there's a great performance there from Bradley Cooper, and I think his direction is is confident, and uh, the music is great for the most part throughout it. Um, and great use of handheld and, cinematography by yeah. Matthew Libatique, who's Darren Aronofsky's usual cinematographer as and, well. And I I really bought into the building of the relationship in that first kind of part of the movie. I I really love the moment where he first brings her out on stage, and they have that duet. I think that's that, where the movie. I peaks. think I I, I was just going to say the exact same thing where i feel like that is the best moment in the entire film and uh i think it's so it's not like it doesn't take a huge dive but i think a lot of the melodrama doesn't quite work um as much as it wants to and i just feel like uh her rise to fame and and where that goes and how that plays out isn't quite as interesting uh than her journey to get there right um and to be honest, this is going to be my hot take. I think of the of the show. I don't think Lady Gaga is great in the movie. I think she's okay. I think she's totally. I think she's serviceable. She's and serviceable. She's obviously a great performer. She's an amazing singer. And and I'll say this as well. I had written her off earlier on in her career as just a, again a Madonna esque wannabe. But then when I heard her duets with Tony Bennett. And her sing songs from The Sound of Music. I was like, "This she is incredible. She is great. Yeah, her, her her she's got an amazing voice. And you know, like that is represented here beautifully. And she sings the songs um, to pitched perfection. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to acting opposite either Bradley Cooper or Sam Elliott or Dave Chappelle or uh, Andrew, Andrew Dice, Dice Clay playing who's very good. He is really good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but he 
she she basically has lines in this movie that feel like they could have been third or fourth takes that didn't work that she repeats certain things but over I, I and over I feel like again. that's an intentional choice. It like... is, but it just compared to some of the other decisions she makes in the movie and some of the other moments she has where she either has to confront Cooper and say, you know, you got to quit this or we you can't just didn't be buy together. Into it as much. Yeah, I didn't. And I'm with you. And and again, like you know, this is like this is her first big dramatic role, not including Machete Kills and not including Sin City, a Dame to Kill for. So um, I can understand maybe some jitters, but I didn't like. I didn't feel the confidence, or the, I didn't feel that she came into her own by the end of Which it. Which you see in her performance. But oh, maybe absolutely, not in, and in I real mean, life too. And you yeah, see that. but I I agree with you, and I, and we talked a little bit about this too throughout the festival that I. I get why they cast her, and I yeah. think she's an amazing musician as well, and I think she has an amazing voice. But I would have preferred to see that role um, with someone we didn't expect to become a star. Like, An a, literally a star is born kind of thing, right. where, like, I knew Lady Gaga was going to be great. Like, I knew... Vocally, at least. Vocally, yeah, and, like, yeah. and become a... When, so when she becomes a pop star and this amazing musician, you're kind of like, well, yeah, of course she did, because, like, I know who Lady Gaga is, where, like, I would have loved... And this is nitpicky a little bit, because I do think Lady Gaga is mostly serviceable and, oh, and she's pretty not bad good. don't like, get me wrong yeah, i just but, think she's probably not as like she's one of the weaker aspects of the film but i would have loved for them to either find an actress that was com- a complete unknown or find an actress that we don't really know for their vocal talents and right then and then surprises us yeah. in real time almost kind of like what cooper does because yeah. we're not expecting him to be a good musician right like, so when he performs you're like Oh shit, he's really good. But then when Lady Gaga performs, you're like, of course she's good. Yeah, and then like she's Lady Gaga. Yeah. So I would have loved for them to take someone. I, I I'm not sure well, look, who it would be. Take, but like, we, we were just talking. I was just talking about Wild Rose. You take mm-hmm. Jesse Buckley. Not a lot of people know who that right. is, right? You put her in that role. People are surprised when she starts singing and, and I feel are taken like, aback. And, and if you find someone who's an amazing singer and have them in that role, who's also a great actress. Um, I feel like that would have been even more special or more impactful right. or like, and yes, it's like, Oh wow. Lady Gaga is great. She, she's a good actress as well. And you could, you said there are a few moments where she's not great. But... It feels, it feels like she, she, again, like there's, there's a certain confidence that she doesn't have that she needs to in scenes where she is being more forthright with Bradley Cooper about his behavior yeah. that I felt kind of was a little shaky right. um, at moments. And it didn't feel natural or organic and yeah like i just i wanted her to be great both vocally and performance wise and i felt that one of those two things was stronger than the other and one of those two things was obviously stronger than the other because we know that she is an amazing musician Mm -hmm. um and could you know sing the house down so to speak yeah and, and here she does again a good job i liked her more in the second in the first half because it is trying to strip down the makeup and the glitz and the glam and, and everything, the excess of the industry. And we get to see Lady Gaga 
as a human being as mm-hmm. as like playing a character first yeah. and then when she becomes <laughs> Allie it's just basically she's become Lady Gaga right i agree so um yeah and then i think the supporting cast like Sam Elliott there is a moment in the film which I'm sure will be his Oscar scene yeah. if, if it goes that far, which I think it He will. will. He's got to get nominated. Um, I mean, he is so good at this movie. There's a scene that they at, him and Bradley Cooper almost act with just their faces without saying anything. Or, well, I mean, mostly Sam Elliott. And, and it's just so powerful and, and, and one of the best moments in the film. It takes place in, 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 the, in, in a car and... and um, I keep thinking about it. Same. His eyes and just his, yeah. The, just, well, like, he's not crying, but you can but, definitely yeah. tell he's 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 tearing up a little bit. And it, yeah, it, it it's not said exactly, but you know what Bradley Cooper is trying to say. Yeah. And it's obviously playing into the you know the the, the tough guy angle of of men that can't emote their feelings or, mm-hmm. or, or aren't supposed to or have been taught to be yeah. Um, Stoic, and I really believe their relationship in the film. And the, I do too. I mean, like, it, it, it is a father son relationship, even though they yeah. are brothers, and and um, they do work around that. Like, or they well, they, they explain give, it. Yeah, they, yeah. They but it is it. still weird when you think like, like you know, Bradley Cooper's what in his forties, and and Sam yeah. Elliott's what got to be in his seventies. Yeah, right? but it's interesting the way that they explain it. I yeah. think it's kind of it's it's done well. And yeah, I, and I do I, think that that Elliott's character does think of himself more as a father too. Totally to uh, Bradley Cooper's character and. And um, casting Dave Chappelle and Andrew Dice Clay as kind of supporting characters is interesting, too. Both co- comedians, obviously. Both and then, problematic uh, comedians yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and so that was – I mean, Andrew Dice Clay is almost unrecognizable to me. Like, right. It's, it's so interesting. Just, uh, but he's, but he's, he's an still... interesting character as well because he – even though he loves his daughter and supports her and wants the best for her, he also puts her down. Like, yeah. he says, like, you know, like, you could have all this talent, but, you know, like, he always compares any musician to Sinatra because, obviously, Sin- that's the time he grew up in. And, like, you know, he's a big fan of crooning and, and he's a limo driver. But he always kind of has this backhanded way of saying, like, you're good, but you'll never be anything more than that in the beginning when we kind of see their relationship. And I think yeah, that's Yeah, but I think it's more so, like, he's trying to push her because she doesn't... She's not pursuing it as right. much as he thinks she should and, and stuff like that. And he... I think he always did believe in her. It's like that parent thing that sometimes... As a kid, you're like, well, of course, my my mom or my dad says like, but it can oh, still I'm be like, hurtful. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, I get it. But I but, but I understand. Like, I'm not saying that he doesn't love her, doesn't love, want her to to succeed. He just it, sometimes it feels almost like he's saying, well, you're you're not Sinatra. You'll never be as good as. Sometimes it's just you know you need to be in the right time, right place, or know the right person to do it. And it doesn't matter how talented you are. And the way that she kind of looks at him at times is almost like, well, thanks, Dad. Yeah. Well, yeah. But um, overall, I think it's it's pretty solid. Yeah. And, um, again, I don't think a lot of the melodrama near the second half works totally. No, and, it's a perfectly fine um, crowd pleaser, and I think yeah. a lot of people will love this movie. Um, I also do think I have to say this about uh, the Bradley Cooper character is that you do like him more than I think any other version that's been done before. So Frederick March and yeah. uh, uh, Chris Christopherson, and he looks the most like Chris Christopherson in this, um, and uh, James Mason. Um, but yeah, the third there's things in the third act, and I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, because there's been four versions of this now at least, mm-hmm. but I think there's some things that it where it goes, I 
felt uncomfortable with, again, playing for plot purposes and emotional manipulation that might be not insensitive, but I at least feel it, it, it can be looked upon that way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the, no. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. Eric did a motion that um, you'll never see, but right. <laughs> I know what he's talking about. Yeah, so uh, I think people will really dig this. I think it'll be a huge contender come Oscar season, and, and Bradley Cooper can nominate it upwards of five times we talked about. Yeah, and if, if uh, the Clint Eastwood movie comes out, because this was actually originally a Clint Eastwood Beyonce. project yeah, with Beyonce, and um, they were going to make the Bradley Cooper character more of like a Kurt Cobain Um he could get nominated for supporting for The Mule, which is Clint Eastwood's new movie at Warner Brothers that he's finished. So, I mean, he has come such a long way since Kitchen Confidential and the uh, and Wedding Crashers that it's like, how did that? How did this happen? Yeah, you know, it's, just, it's kind of in the in the vein where we were talking about Adam McKay and Peter Farley. Like, it's like you never really thought that they, or even Jonah Hill. You know? Well, I, that's the other thing. I'm like, we're talking about all these kind of pop star movies, but then the other theme was actor directors, right? Or actors yeah. turned directors. Um, this festival. So we'll go into that a bit later. Well, we could talk um, about it now, even because we have uh, Brady Corbett who directed Vox Lux, yes. which is one of the you know uh, female pop star musician uh, rags to riches story, which I think is is worth talking about. And mm. I think we both really liked the movie i think you loved the, the film and um, it's not exactly what you are expecting or mm-hmm. pitched um, quickly stars born october 5th for october everyone 5th. who uh so a couple weeks actually. same day as venom opening which <laughs> both of which are shot by matthew libatique so shout out to matthew libatique yeah um good for him for making that I feel money. like those will be very different movies <laughs> i think they will um, i think i don't think there's uh, no the symbiote was bradley cooper's beard right mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. um but yes, let's talk about Vox Lux, which is um, surprisingly my favorite film that I saw at the festival, I think. Yeah, and um, an unusual approach to this narrative. Um, Natalie Portman plays this pop singer who, when she was younger, um, was a victim in a mass shooting like Columbine. And how, after um, the events of this horrific uh event sort of creates an outpour and crying for her to become a superstar so she sings this song in in a church and it's viewed nationwide and then from there um the studio system kind of sees this as a moment to exploit that and maybe create a new pop star celeste celeste and uh we don't see portman until two-thirds into the movie we see uh saffron um Oh, no, no, no. What's her name? Uh, Cass- Saffron Cassidy? or uh... Uh, Shit, sorry. I'm trying to find it. Um, she's from... The uh, Killing of Kill- a Sacred Deer yes. in Tomorrowland. Uh, Raffi Cassidy. Raffi Cassidy. So Raffi Cassidy, who's a British actress, uh, plays an American, the younger version of Portman. And then in the second half of the movie, plays she her plays, daughter. plays her daughter, uh, uh, which Albert I think is interesting yeah. uh, casting there. But Portman's performance as this kind of like coked out i think she has a bronx-esque accent or very new york-esque accent later on in the movie um really shows the 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 results of excess and 
she's not a very likable person. She's a very complex character. Her relationship with her sister, played by Stacey Martin, who was in Brady Corbett's last movie, uh, The Childhood of a Leader, um, and Nymphomaniac, uh, Lars von Trier's film. Um, that dynamic is very complex. Her, her relationship with her manager, played by Jude Law, uh, has them reuniting with uh, from Closer, is also sleazy at times and weird. Yeah. But I think it really says something about... Our society now, but it also says something about fame and fandom entertainment and what, and entertainment and what and like, do what do they owe us? Like pop stars owe us. Yeah, and I just think I, I like that it. I think it's a more scathing kind of. Uh, it's an indictment uh, for sure of of the music industry, and I think it does a better job than a Star Is Born at kind of showcasing that industry and how it can take advantage of people and kind of. Um, um, like, I mean, um, capitalize on a tragedy and find something there and go, we're going to try and use this to make money or turn this person into a star. And like, it just feels gross, but like, um, but real and, and it, obviously it's heightened and it, it's stylized, but, um, it, it's, I just think it was a much more fascinating, scathing portrait of the 21st century. I used air quotes there, um, right. um, as the movie kind of states and, and, um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I really, really loved this. Like it's, a, it's especially my shit. Like it's the exactly kind of like style I love in, in film. It's shot in a large format, like 65 millimeter style kind of, um, um, not quite four by three, but a, a, a higher, almost like IMAX aspect ratio. Box like a, Lux um, is boxed in. Yeah, and it's 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 so it's got this interesting aspect ratio. It's chapter based storytelling. It has this big sweeping kind of score behind it, and um, the Willem o- Dafoe is the voiceover, oh, yeah. who may or may not be the devil, which is amazing. And um, the opening ten minutes, I think, if you don't, I mean, you kind of alluded to um, uh, what they're about, but like right. if. Like they're shocking and and I think a fascinating thing of going, yeah, like this shit does happen and I think it's gross in the way that they capitalize on right. these things. And well, even look at what with with, um, and, with Parkland right now, right? Yeah. Like the kids, they're parading them out yeah. for the, the for for. I mean, that's different because at least they're. Um, doing it for a good cause right 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 i'm not, not talking more about cnn but i'm star, but, I'm, but, but like, I'm talking about like even like having them uh david hogg at at, at, uh, at tiff and everybody yeah. not the moment but people were reappropriating or, or recontextualizing it as like oh you know uh famous person david hogg was there to yeah. talk he did a about, red carpet yeah and, and, it's like, and it's like it's a little icky yeah I know. and that's what what you feel with the exploitation this, of the industry yeah. like when jennifer l is talking about she plays uh one of the 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 music producers that sort of is rebranding or creating an image for her she even says, you know, we don't know if this is going to work. We're going to try everything we can. And, you know, the way we're going to start it out is we're going to, you know, have you play in malls. Yeah. And that reminded me of, like, Debbie Gibson and, and, and Tiffany, the way that, you know, the music well, types teen, tried to really play They turn play her into, out. like, a teen pop idol after yeah. this tragedy. And you can just see how the industry is taking advantage of her. And they her, cover her being, wound as well, which yeah. is important to, to note. Because, and turn it into, like, a fashion Yeah, thing, the way, right? like, and you know, like, Avril Lavigne made ties yeah. popular. But they have this neck uh, brace that turns into a collar later on. Yeah. And, yeah, it seems like they're trying to make this, like, fashion statement of it. But it, what it really is is it's covering her scar and they don't ever let her you don't ever see it unless 
it's uh, uh, during dress rehearsals or breaks when she's Behind getting the scenes, ready. Right? Yeah, but and, they and turn I feel her like into this image. Of... Yeah, and then it's kind of all brought back to uh, point again during another terrorist attack in Croatia. Um, where the characters, where the terrorists, the characters that, that wear, a mask wear masks that are represented. Videos. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. And I just, um, yeah, and I, I love how it, it, um, it spans kind of, um, from her starting her career. And I, this is one thing I said, uh, I thought it did a better job than, um, than a star is born as well, because I just felt like um, watching her start to become a star just felt more. Again, this is what I'm talking about. Like I didn't expect it out of Raffi Cassidy, and when she has that first moment where she sings and then starts to become a, uh, I, she does have that moment in Killing of a Sacred Deer where she sings. Right. I think the Sia, uh, yeah. Sia song, uh, ironically. Um, but then yeah, and then the so- whole second and half of the film, like I mean, I was a little hesitant when. I love Natalie Portman. I think Natalie oh, she's Portman great. is one of my favorite actresses working. Although and, I saw backlash um, for this film, and there was one yeah. person that said, "Is Natalie Portman a good actor or I a bad know, actor?" Yeah, and I'm no, like, we won't yeah. go into that. But uh, I think she's great. I can I understand because like I talk shit about J- uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's accent. They're going to say Jai and, like, Courtney, <laughs> and well, Jai Courtney as well. But like I can get when people are doing these kind of over the top accents in every film that they do. Some it could turn off some people. And, well, it's part and, caricature, though. It right? is, too? and I. And I feel like when she first comes in, uh, first comes in as the adult Celeste, it is a little bit jarring and and strange. But I think it's show showing what it's telling what the industry has done to her, right? right. Like, um, and uh, I, I like at first I'm like, oh, I don't I don't know about this. But then as that conversation goes on with her daughter, also played by Rafi Cassidy, and and I think that's a really interesting choice, and that is jarring as well. But I feel right. like stylistically, it's a really interesting choice. And then that whole conversation that they have, and and you're starting to learn what she's become as she's grown into adulthood and become this big pop star and and, and things like that. Then I started to kind of buy into it a little bit more and um there's a great scene with christopher abbott um at a round table which we laughed at we were in a section with all uh, it's the most people. unrealistic yeah. uh, round table yeah. ever because he gets like five questions <laughs> and no other journalists yeah. even get one yeah and and again just the jude law stuff like you talked about too of her uh him being her manager and kind and of knowing like, her since she was a kid and since she was 16 or 14 i think she is in the yeah. opening scenes and then how that relationship develops when they're older and, and or when she's older of age now and right you just know well, that that's well, like, even with with uh, the the sister as yeah. well like how like because he's responsible for them when they go over to it's switzerland right mm-hmm. and you know like he's the adult in the situation but he also acts like a child sometimes as well yeah especially when going on drug benders yeah so like i just thought it was a fascinating scathing kind of portrayal of the of the music and entertainment industry and like um, and how manipulative and and um, um, how they take advantage of people and 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 kind of they're only really thinking about themselves for the most part and uh, like you see the and it's a theme of this kind of tortured rocks like or like a pop star and and things like that or musician tortured musicians right, right. and like and this girl goes through this horrific event and then she gets sure she gets fame and fortune from it but at what cost and yeah. and she survives and she lives on but at what cost and there's a really great line that I don't want to give away that we've talked about and you made a great point earlier of who Willem Dafoe 
could be playing in his voiceovers. Right, because the voiceover um, is throughout. Like, it's not, like, bookended or anything. Like, no, it actually like, as much of a character as anybody else in the movie. It breaks into scenes, and there's awesome scenes where there's, like, a, a musical performance going on, but then the sweeping score comes in, and then Willem Dafoe's voiceover comes in, and it's just... It's exactly the kind of, like, style that I, I look for in films that is doing something... Uh, at least it's it's not conventional at all, right? And and, uh, and I think even the last act where it's basically just her performance, and they even um, uh, they they uh, uh, give Jonathan Demi a, a shot a shout out at the end, like yeah. saying it's um, uh, dedicated to him, and and I think yeah, that and Phantom Thread as well, because uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, I mean, has admitted to lifting tons of. Uh, images from right. Jonathan Demi. I mean, the, the the shots of any time someone walks directly to the camera to like a close up shot, right? And I think this more than anything, you can see some stuff in the narrative and then some in the concert performance yeah. at the end too. I think is is alluding to some of the concert stuff that Demi yeah. has done as well. And then and Natalie like, Portman, one of her and, first big movies was Ted Demi's yeah. Beautiful Girls. And then the other very weird thing that I just thought about is that in uh, the late Milos Forman's Goya's Ghost. She plays uh, the daughter and mother characters um, and love interest to Stellan Skarsgård's character. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's really weird. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's my favorite thing that I saw this year. And I, I it, TIFF is always interesting for me because there's always one film that catches me off guard that I love. I say is my favorite TIFF film, but as I... Like uh, last year, it was or two years ago. Um, well, she did it with uh, Jackie though as well. Like Jackie know, we, was we, one of my. We favorite walked films, into Jackie. Yeah. We were excited about it. I yeah. mean, it was playing in the uh, platform section, um, but we weren't expecting to be blown away by and it. And that's kind of how I felt about this. It was a last minute addition to the festival. I don't even think it was announced the last time we recorded. <laughs> no, it was. It was that <laughs> the and day Greta, of the schedule. Greta right? and and Voxlux yeah. were the two that were announced very last minute. And, um, well, uh, other than a private war, and so for me, I know you you weren't a huge fan of the film. You thought it was okay, but Nocturnal Animals was that film for me a couple years ago. Where looking back now, I'm like, I don't know if if it's the the best film I saw from that year at the festival. But in that moment, and, it was just um, different and, and weird intriguing. and what I wanted. And like, and, and well, you I, love seeing Aaron Taylor Johnson nearly nude, right? Yeah, or I nude. Got, I got to see him fully nude this festival. Penises is something we'll talk about uh, later. This is gonna be like a five hour podcast. Um, so yeah, man, Vox Lux is is awesome. Neon picked it up. Uh, no release date yet. No, um, I have heard that they might release it at the end of the year for awards consideration. There's, or are they going to hold it? Or they're going to hold it, but there has been debate about like whether or not to put Natalie Portman in the lead or supporting, and I would say that she is supporting. I would say it's Because I'd say Raffi well. Cassidy is the lead. Well, yeah, she's in the entire film. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I agree, and I, I think both of them are great, and I think... Uh... I also have to... I, I just want to quickly mention as well, um, the songs, I don't think they're good, but I think that's intentional. I think they're disposable pop yeah. songs compared to A Star Is Born. I think that's where A Star Is Born has something... Uh, a, the music is much better. It's better, better yeah, yeah um, comparatively speaking. But I think, again, it's intentional that there's sort of like soulless songs that are I think probably that's created by a writing room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I'm sure that's what they told Sia to do. Yeah. Like, be like, make this sort of sound like your music, but not... But watered down, but yeah. diluted completely. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but it's also weird because in, in the movie, Defoe's voiceover narration does say that the character, you know, he'll give her credit for writing her own songs. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's true. 
Um, but it's awesome. So uh, keep an eye out on when Neon is going to release it. I yeah. hope it's late this year. But um, but if not, it'll be sometime next year, and it'll be worth waiting for. Neon actually did really, really well this festival because they also bought Wild Rose yeah. for distribution. And then they also picked up uh, The Big Little Farm. Um, and they already had uh, Border, mm-hmm. so they've got some good stuff coming up. And then on top of that, next year they'll have the Beach Bum, which is probably my most anticipated movie. Yeah, early next year. Right? Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Uh, quickly, we will go over. I don't have too much to say about her smell. Uh, my one anecdote when I came out of that movie, I, I left like halfway through, is just because um, I, I said it felt like. Um, uh, William Shakespeare went on a cocaine bender and wrote a very obnoxious play. But you have told me after right. the first but hour. I like that so. description, and I would use that description positively right. because okay. I think that's the intent, or at least yeah. it felt like that at times. I just could not deal with right. it. Right. Well, the thing is, what. I'm so not, let's quickly, like, again, yeah. we, so we alluded to what it's about. Uh, or, Elizabeth like, Moss plays a coked out, self destructive pop punk singer uh in the 90s and again it's divided into it's it's not like you don't see like chapter one chapter two but it is like there are vhs videos that kind of divide the segments and it kind of introduces characters or plot points that will take place within each behind the scenes before a concert or um before a recording and so she's kind of playing that courtney love type where she's completely strung out on whatever drug is available to her um she is causing a riff not only with her band but her manager her ex-husband played by dan stevens um is taking care of their daughter while she is figuring out her own stuff eric stoltz plays their 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 manager and um the uh, an owner of a, a record label but what i liked about this movie um, and what I like a lot uh, about uh, Alex Perry Ross. Alex Ross Perry. Alex Ross Perry. I'm going to keep doing this until I get it right. Uh, what I like about his work is that it can it takes characters that are complex, prickly, and can be confrontational to the point where you want to walk away from the screening or yeah. turn off the TV. It feels like that with Listen to Philip, uh, Queen of the Earth. Um, Christopher Robin Christopher Robin Eeyore particular is a pain in the ass Um, but what this movie does that none of those have done before is that there is compassion for this particular character especially in the two last segments now without revealing anything I would say that it's a a little bit of a diversion for him as a filmmaker and it shows that he can be humane and in the process, we care about Moss's journey. And looking back at those last three segments, because I agree with you, it is sometimes extremely obnoxious and over the top and in your face. And you're just overwhelmed by it all. And especially if you're watching it either early in the morning I watched it at or late at night. Because I, I saw it at 9.30 in the morning. Yeah. Um, but when you get to the final sequence, it does things that are unexpected okay. in a very tender Manner the, the same. So way maybe that I the payoff. With, maybe the payoff is worth. Yes, the, that the same way I felt with the sisters brothers, where there's things on that trail that aren't expected in a western genre. The same way that these aren't expected in a musical behind the scenes uh, feature. It's it's very much 
a uh, surprise for me. I don't think it's accessible in any way. I mean, it's telling that it didn't get picked up. Maybe it's playing New York today. Uh, the New York Film Festival just started as well. Um, but I don't know. I, I, it worked. And I think at the center of it, you have a, a performance by Elizabeth Moss that is completely and utterly convincing. And She just, gives it her all. Yeah. Oh, she is a hurricane of a performer yeah, in yeah, this movie yeah, yeah. and even if you don't like the movie you have to admit that she is just putting a hundred and ten percent thousand percent yeah. yeah i i did not like it um i again it was after a very long day of watching movies and it was 10 10 p.m i lasted i think an hour and a half into it i had an hour left before right. i left because it's then, 135 minutes yeah and um it was already 11 o'clock and i was or 10 o'clock or something yeah no 11 o'clock almost and i was like oh man i don't know if i can stay here till midnight and do this and i was just really turned off by the first two acts and right. um and that second act goes on for a long time but i like what it says about addiction though as well yeah. like it doesn't say that like none of the characters when confronting her and saying like you need to snap out of it said like you need to get off the drugs man like even eric stoltz character says like i'm there for her if i if she needs me but yeah. you're she's the one that ultimately has to make, make the, that decision yeah. where something like beautiful boy is so utterly <laughs> an after school special and in yeah. your face about drugs are bad and you know like it, it, it just it, it's saccharine where this isn't this is raw and nasty and gross sometimes. And, you know, we're talking about Predator, the Predator movie being sweaty. Mm-hmm. This is really sweaty as well. And, and, and like, if this was in Smell-O-Vision, you would, you would definitely uh, not be liking what you're smelling. No. Um, that kind of covers those pop star movies you were talking about. Fuck, we have still so much to talk about. Um, you want to – we'll try and go quickly over some of – um, this other stuff we talked about some um, actors turned directors and we mentioned Jonah Hill so I wanted to go into mid 90s um, which I again I don't think we need to go super super deep into mid 90s right but well um, I don't think it's super deep no. either and and the more I think about it I, I liked it but I keep forgetting about it okay interesting. Um, but I still I still enjoyed it you know like a, a mid 90s period piece where the I guess the Jonah Hill-esque surrogate uh, played by uh, Sonny Sujins or something? Sujek? Soljek? Yeah. Uh, of um, Killing of a Sacred Deer as well. Um, is kind of a, a... Feels like a misfit. Uh, he has problems with his older brother who has anger issues, played by Lucas Hedges. Um, his mother... Who's awesome. Yeah, he's, his, he's good. With his giant jug of orange juice <laughs> and his slim shady looking fucking hair and stuff. <laughs> Um, and then Catherine Waterston as his mother, who's originally going to be played by uh, Michelle Williams, um, are kind of, you know, slice of life kind of movie. It the, is, The yeah. thing that I like the most about it is the kind of chemistry that he has with these other kind of skater punks that are that are misfits themselves in a way that are would be considered by anybody else as like juvenile delinquents and mm-hmm. um you know they have a great bond and sort of bringing him into the fold and you see the different relationships full unfold and and the movie has some pretty abrupt and strange moments in terms yeah. of editing and, and violence and, and, and violence um that you know whether it be in the sound design or the cutting that I think works where it left me wanting more was I kind of felt that it was a little too short. I thought it was slight. It's 84 minutes yeah. with which, credits. Which so in one way like, is, is kind of is, like, yes, yeah. that's excellent for, you know, a festival that you're seeing sometimes a movie that's nearly three hours. Oh, I mean, I, I applaud it for that. And I mean, um, it we, didn't, it didn't need to be any longer. I don't think, but I just wish 
there was some more substance to it other than just yeah i would say it, it a coming of age movie yeah and i like that kind of coming of age slice of life stuff and it, it again i said very much my shit earlier for right. box lux this as well i mean this is the time period i we both grew up in and yeah. so seeing those little touches of the ninja like, turtles blankets yeah and the i saw hogan the hulk toy. hogan um plush like, plush thing that you would beat up and and i had stuff i had a diamond dallas page one that was like that and like um i I remember that and like i remember that hulk hogan one and the ninja turtles sheets and the uh the super nintendo he had the street fighter t-shirt on and they played twisted metal on um the first playstation kiss from Um, a rose kiss from a rose the music is great the trent reznor atticus ross score is awesome but scarcely used especially because it's so short as well like it's I feel really like sparse like it's mostly yeah. it's mostly um soundtrack than score and there's a few pieces of score but i'm hard pressed to remember right. um when they played like you can tell it's them it's just it's not like memorable like is in gone girl or social network or right or, or even Patriots Day um, of all Patriots things. Day, yeah. Um, so, but I don't know. I just really loved hanging out with these kids. Oh, they like, are fantastic. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, very it natural. is. It's um, not politically correct, but again, these are. Uh, remember, they are teens and kids living in the mid nineties. So, yeah. like, I mean, I. It's intentional in the way the crass and crude nature that they talk. Yeah, and, because they're immature. They still have growing up to do. Like they drop the R word and call each other fags and and yeah and, yeah. and and like it's 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 uncomfortable but i feel like i remember growing up in that time and and when you're a kid and you don't know better yet but then right. there are moments where um they're more grown up than you yeah. would think that they would be and like you know how it's all put in perspective at the end i just think maybe it's also a little too tidy way that they kind of handle things and, and as much as i like lucas hedges in the film there is there's a feeling that there's more to him that could have been explored or yeah, and he's such a great actor and we saw yeah. him and we'll go into other lucas hedges performances at the <laughs> festival too because because he, he has he is his anger issues and those anger issues also seem to be emotionally um upsetting for him as well so he takes it out on his brother by beating the living daylights out oh, of God, him and some, some of it looks violent as hell yeah man. and then he'll cry in the corner afterwards because He's also very lonely and 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 uh, you know antisocial. So mm-hmm. um, I think there's there there could have been more to explore in those aspects in those characters. But yeah, I mean it's a very light, easy movie to watch. I mean I've heard some people compare it to Harmony Corinne movies and and Larry Clark specifically. I thought of that exact thing when um, I was watching. Not as dark. Yeah, or, I mean it's not it's not kids level yeah. dark, but it it has it has some stuff that like it. it you know, it talks about, you know, these kids' backgrounds and where they come from and, and the hardships that they face. And, Fuck shit. And yeah, yeah. And you and, and fourth grade and, yeah. and, and stuff like that. And and you do feel for them. You do like them as people. Like they're they aren't bad people. Like they're just they're just kids, you know, they're growing up still, they have to figure life out and they've they have each other, you know, like that's the thing that I like yeah, the most. Yeah, I about like that it. one moment when the when the one kid um when he's like, oh, I don't want to say thank you because... <laughs> right, <laughs> and right. Then he's like, and then he's just, just, just good manners. He's like, you're not that... You know, what the... So there are a lot of great moments in the movie, and um, I really loved it. I really thought yeah. it was great. Um, and for Jonah Hill to make it, it's it's also like, you know, we can make fun of him right now because all these uh, interviews and magazines that are coming out, <laughs> like, it, it's framing him as this pretentious auteur filmmaker to be taken seriously, but I think the film itself is very sincere. Yep. It may be too sincere for its own good. Mm-hmm. 
No, I thought it was great. I really, really enjoyed it a lot. Um, I thought um, it again. You wouldn't. I mean, unless you told, unless you knew it was Jonah Hill, I don't know if you would even like. Because again, he doesn't insert himself. He doesn't like. Th- there's comedy there, but right. Um, I think it's. I love the the four by three aspect ratio to match the times. Right, like you could right. get a VHS of this movie and pop it in an old tube TV, and it would feel like it it, it fits right. And, yeah, or um, even even you know skateboarding videos. Like it looks yeah. like a skateboarding video at time, which is perfect. And I'm not the biggest fan of skateboarding culture, yeah. but I think it works because it invites you into the the characters' worlds, and you just get to hang out with them. Like there's this amazing uh, police raid outside a courthouse that is beautifully done and the score that's when the score really kicks in and you notice it but it's almost played for for like comedic laughs like it's a slapstick moment where like you have all the kids like running and the cops trying to grab them and 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 again like it's very very much a fun movie with moments of uh candor to really talk about the kids and and that's where it works. I would like the one movie I didn't get to see this summer that I hopefully will catch up with soon is Skate Kitchen. Yeah, and I would like to compare same. the two to see how they compare and contrast. Agreed. Agreed. Um, any other actor directors that we, we talked about? Brie Corbett, uh, Paul Dano, Paul Dano, Wildlife. Let's yeah, wildlife. wildlife. Um, again, let's. I do want to get to God. This might be a very long podcast. Anyways, let's talk about wildlife. Well, let's strap on in, buddy. We're yeah. in for the long haul. Let's talk about wildlife. Yes. I don't have a ton to say. I think it – anyways. I ahead. think uh, Wildlife for a directorial debut is very, very confident. I, I mean Paul, the same Paul Dano at this point in his career is known for being beaten up by various actors in movies. Uh, but he also can be a very underrated supporting player. Um, I mean the first time I really took note of him was probably a Little Miss Sunshine and I think a lot of people did at that point as well. He popped up in other things here and there as well but um, since then he's been working constantly in either you know lead roles in small indie films or supporting roles in bigger movies and obviously you know I mentioned him being beaten up in films when you think of you know Prisoners and uh, 12 Years a Slave and There Will Be Blood yeah and and, uh, uh, Looper as well um, which is one of the best sequences in that movie it's very disturbing Um, but here he directs a very quiet low-key again kind of slice of life but in the late 1960 not late 1950s early 60s in uh montana in a kind of very flat land where on the peripherals of that is forest fires and it's sort of about this young boy who is seeing his parents who are played by jake gyllenhaal and carrie mulligan um having uh, marital issues and sort of them on the outs and well, he I, loses his job he right? loses, and then yeah, he decides yeah. to go fight the fires and leaves right them. well he loses his job but he he doesn't swallow his pride and take it and back when they want him when they want back. him back because they realize they made a mistake but he too proud too proud to do it and he's also uh alludes to that he was once trying to be a, a golfer as well so yeah so jake gyllenhaal goes off to volunteer firefight and and he's Gone for a very large portion of the movie, and it's mostly Carrie Mulligan and this young kid uh, Ed Oxenbull, I, I, I believe, who's from The Visit. You probably remember him as the oh, obnoxious right. rapping Fuck. kid, and yeah. and here he is. Uh, it, it's such a, a, a complete departure, very 
quiet, mature. Um, he has to be older than than what he really is because his parents are acting like children and watching this movie and and being a child of divorce myself you realize that you know divorce isn't a bad thing all the time you know like sometimes you need to separate or divorce for the better of you know a family member or child both of them to be happy yeah and 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 at that time it wasn't it wasn't it was still really unheard of that that would happen um and so you kind of get this small town community it's very it's not surreal but it's tranquil it's very calm but also you feel like that the, the the lead character is taking so much in that he's going to explode at some point. I mean, Carrie Mulligan's character is, um, they never, they never say it, but I think she might suffer from bipolar disorder or something like that, because at one point she can be, um, very happy and excited and and then self-destructive, self-destructive or lying in bed all day. And then she's having a bit of a, a, an affair with Bill camp's character. Who's also in killing of a sacred deer. Um, and where that goes is kind of interesting. And to me, it just spoke to me on on that level of the family dynamic and, and seeing, you know, two people that you love and you hold dear to you um, in in a, a very awful situation. And maybe you want to get away from that. You want to run away and you don't know what else to do or who to confide in because right. he doesn't really have anybody. Yeah, exactly. And um yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, I was impressed with his confidence, and um, uh, I was sort of annoyed later on in the film because he started to reuse the, a similar tactic in a lot of sequences, and like a. Uh, um, well, he loves the close up as yeah, well. Well, the close ups to, and I felt like that worked. Yes. Like you really got the emotion and everyone in in and the in, intimacy. Yeah, in the film, but then he also did a thing which at first I was very impressed with, but then the more he used it, I was like, okay, I could probably do without using this so often but he would hold a steady shot or a a, a static shot and he would let the scene kind of play out and he would let people go out of frame and you would hear them and then just watch and focus on the people who are still in frame or or whatever was still in frame and then uh he would either pan over to kind of reveal something or he wouldn't or he would stand yeah stand that shot and so I can't really fault him for using it a lot because that, that's obviously the style he was going for. Right. And I was initially impressed with it. But then as it went on, I kept going, well, I know exactly what like, kind of right. what he's going to do here. I, I think like, it really works one of the first times he uses it when uh, the lead is um, in class and they're about to take a pop quiz. And he walks from his desk to the teacher and then you hear him talking to the teacher off camera that he didn't have time to study because the night before he was dealing with his parents um, having a fight. And the teacher basically says, well, you know, just do the best you can. I, I can't exempt you from this. So um, moments like that work. But I, I but I understand where what you're saying. Like he keeps going back to the well to use it. But I also think that it's a shot that kind of shows that he's not trying to be overly flashy with yeah, his I style. Agree, and yeah, I agree, Actors turned directors fall in that zone where it's like, well, I've got to – everything has to be moving or everything has to – like something has to always be happening. Nothing cannot be just still. No, and I like how he lets those scenes kind of play out and he doesn't need to cut a bunch of times or as much as he wants to show those close-up – like it was either a close-up or a shot like that, which right. I thought was interesting. And but I think like, the close-ups work better um, yeah. and usually I, I think that 
close-ups are used way too liberally now in in film, especially when it comes to being a part of the narrative, because close-ups are meant to tell you something. They're meant to convey not just emotion, but narratively what's going on in the scene, whether it's hiding something from you or telling you something in the character's face. Mm -hmm. And here, Dano always uses it in a way to help push the plot forward right. or push the emotions forward and to tell the story. Mm-hmm. No, I thought it was um, quite good. So um, I want to talk about a few movies that you really enjoyed that I was either kind of sort of mixed on or, or hated. hated. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh boy. So let's start with the one where we're on polar opposite ends. Cause I think it was your favorite film or best film of the festival. Yes. And it was near the bottom of mine. Cause I hated the hour now, did I you spent ha- with did, it. Did you hate um, it more than assassination nation? No, I didn't. So okay. I, I was going to be hyperbolic and, um, because you and other people, um, like, I hadn't gotten angry yet at anything I watched. And I'm not, I just don't care. But, like, right. um, I was going to be hyperbolic as well because I was accusing all of you guys of being hyperbolic. And I'll allude to what movie I'm talking to about in a second. And I think I was, we already know. I was going to put it, uh, like, as the worst thing I saw. But I was like, I can't. I can't yeah, <laughs> do right. that. You're going to make a real statement I was here. like, I still had it. Don't um, be a hero, Matt. <laughs> I had it a bit higher just because I'm like, well, it is a better made film than some of this other trash that i saw right like um and we don't need to focus too much on what we didn't really like at the festival i feel like that doesn't really yeah you can just check our letterbox yeah Yeah, exactly and i'll I'll, we can allude to at the end like some things that we were disappointed well maybe we can even just read them off like our one to 45 or 40 that's true yeah Yeah. or i'll just kind of throw out some that i didn't love but anyways i'm talking about alfonso caron's roma 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 (laughs) roma so um this is fascinating to me, and I've been excited to kind of talk to you, and I don't know how long we'll go on this, but it, we'll we'll probably wrap up after this. I do want to talk about um, First Man um, uh, as well. And we talked about Beale Street last week. Yeah. And, um, well, I did. Uh, I mean, you, I can give maybe my you quick, can yeah, and Destroyer as well. I wouldn't well. mind it. Quickly before we finish, I want to talk about Roma with you. I want to talk about uh, First Man, um, uh, John F. Donovan, I would like to talk about Burning and uh life itself <laughs> yes we have uh, to talk about life yeah. itself and then we'll kind of wrap up yeah. so I'll, tr- I'll we'll try and get through this as quickly as possible but and then we'll just and kinda... we'll also talk about them more when they're being released oh totally well. all these films and i'll kind of give you um some i want to give some shout outs we talked about i think a lot of the things we like the most that's right. why i want to talk about roman burning because i know you love yeah. both of those films roma. Um, sorry i can't and... get it out of my head so let's kick it off with alfonso caron's roma um, oh god so eric you you let people know what this movie's about because i couldn't tell you what it's okay about. so essentially it's alfonso caron's semi-autobiographical depiction of his youth in mexico growing up yeah. in the 19 early 1970s because it takes place in 70 and 71 because it spans you left around the time uh when they went to the uncles for new year's at, the, yeah. at their cottage yes so it was and so in all of that it's from the point of view of cleo who is uh this affluent families, nanny, and uh, sort of uh, live-in maid, kind of. And she has her own life as well. And um, there's things... I don't want to spoil it because I don't, I don't know what is spoiler and what isn't for this kind of movie. Sure. Um, but we, basically... Can it's, we talk about the five-minute-long sequence of her shutting off fucking lights? And I love home. that. I, I absolutely hate you. I hate you that. so much. I hate you. <laughs> Because it's showing you the vastness of the space that they're in 
and what she has to do. Like, I know there was another movie that at the festival that some people were having problems with, which is The Wedding Guest, where Dev Patel right. is renting a series of cars, yeah. and that's all he's doing. And that's probably with how you felt with Roma, yes. where, like, you see her going around well, I'm the like, house. I'm like, why do I give a but shit about she's, this? she's the one that has to do this. She's... I mean, basically, she's doing a maintenance job where every day and every night, she's the one. There's another maid I as under- well. I understand that. But to but me, I like that stuff but because to me, it's, I'm like, why? It's 1970s filmmaking because nowadays you don't see that anymore because it's just psychologically sure. allude to when, you know, like you have a shot of somebody doing it once. It's like, okay, well, then they turned off everything or they, you know, they opened the door and walked down the street But to you're the really car. living with these characters. Yes, and that's what worked for me because – Watching this movie, I felt as the film was was moving on at a very slow pace. It is a slow movie. <laughs> I felt like I was entering into Alfonso Cuarón's memory. That it was an existential um, experience to some degree. Looking back at a part of your life that is long gone, that is long over, mm-hmm. um, and what you remember of it, and then what his. Historically speaking, people remember of it because at this time, uh, in the background, you're having uh, riots and revolutions, uh, politically um, speaking, where you could watch this whole movie once um, just on the foreground of the family and then again on what's going on with, you know, uh, people that don't have jobs and are impoverished. And, you know, like we were talking, making the joke about widows having like 20 think pieces on that one scene. Like, I'm sure people could write a whole um, essay on just, you know, the, the scenes that are going on in the background. Oh, because sure. it feels like there are two movies There'll at once. There'll be some uh, university thesis on it. Um, sure. I thought it was beautifully made. I thought that there were some payoffs in there at the end. That I've really heard worked. that too. And I, I don't want to – I'm not going to go too much into it because I don't feel like I gave it a, a, a fair shot either. Right. And but I it's also very like, empathetic. Like yeah. that's the thing as well. And the one thing you did miss that I thought you actually might kind of like – um, is there's a really funny nod to gravity. I heard, in the movie. yeah. Um, but the thing I loved about the film is that, again, like in terms of like the slice of life movies, I felt like I actually lived with this family. Well, especially and, in the Dolby Atmos sound, we yeah, have, like, and the, and and, and like just the creaks and cracks, like you're probably hearing now with this chair. <laughs> um, but again, maybe also the 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 family dynamic of the mother and father of this family splitting up. Yeah, because. You know, he says that he's going to Quebec or Ottawa. He's a uh, a doctor, and he's really not. And they have to explain that to the kids and kind of. Yeah, and I, I, I've had that yeah, experience, yeah. and Fair. I thought that was very truthful. And and to come from Quran, who I think is a very gifted filmmaker and less pretentious than his buddy Alejandro Gonzalez Inuritu, um, means everything with a very kind heart, but also empathy empathy towards all the characters like not everyone in this movie is a nice person but there are moments where you get to see a fully developed um not everything's black and white even though the movie's black and white um there are things in there that you see the 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 doctor do that is horrible but also you see him do things that are very compassionate right so there's there 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 there's moments in there where i can totally understand that it doesn't work for everybody and it's not going to work for everybody this is going to be for me no no and and like again like it's it's paying homage to filmmakers like ozu as well or or frederick uh fellini right Mm -hmm. um like it's not as surreal i don't think is eight and a half but it still feels 
of its time. Like, I felt like I was transported to that time period. Yeah, so yeah. I'll let you destroy it now. No, I don't have anything to really, like, destroy other than, like, my, I don't want it to even seem shallow-minded or, or that. No, but, like, but uh, you did have a problem with I, it. And, and, like, you didn't like it, but I want to know. Like, I'm Yeah, so for me, I, I lasted about an hour. You when they, went to, when they went to the cottage and you had the one guy who was drunk wearing the... Uh, the, he started singing the mask and, got, was, and he took was, off the, the he started the singing mask. and there was yeah. fires in the background so yeah man like i don't know like if it, it just didn't do anything for me in that first hour like i just felt like um everything from the look to the long takes to the subject matter was just not interesting to me i'm like why the fuck do I, I get that it was his childhood and whether I think he was part of this affluent family that lived yes. in Mexico? Yeah. Like, why the fuck do I care about your rich family in Mexico? And, like, I, I sound like an asshole here and, like, a. But it's not really like a, about them. I understand. Like, it's like the, they, they're part of it, but it's. it's this nanny that sure. it's her but then point I'm of also, view. Then there's like a 10 minute long t- – no, I'm exaggerating. I'm I know. I know. The top, but like then of her cleaning up dog shit or right. her um, shutting off the lights in this house. Man, or, someone's got to shovel that um, shit and turn off yeah, those lights. Yeah, but I don't – to me that's not interesting and that's right. not why But I you didn't even find with some of those like, long takes where like, you know, like people are interacting in the city in the background. Like how – amazing that is in terms of just direction and how to like start and stop that like it reminded me of something like touch of evil like that opening yeah shot i know I, yeah Wells. yeah with the single take that goes throughout the whole city yeah and like people actually and, like... doing other things in the background and it feels like a real city or a real environment is thriving and going on as this story is being told right i just don't think that's why i go to the movies or why i i again like i'm Again, I don't want to sound like this populist, like simple-minded, like oh, like or like big, like you're not. Um, I just, for me, there was nothing there that I was interested in watching or witnessing or cared about or, uh, pl- like I just thought the plot was so like there isn't really a plot. To your point, you're just like there is, but like it's very much just spending time right. in this time period with these people with this family right and you then, actually didn't feel dissimilar um, to because you didn't like boyhood either and that kind of yes has a sim not that it's it's similar in, in its geography or its culture but again it's like you're spending time with these people boyhood was more that i was more like okay i think it's impressive the way that they made shot, the movie made the movie i don't think it's all that interesting or impressive when it comes to being an actual finished film and i just thought it was i'm like okay it was a greatest hits album of this kid's life and i'm like i don't find anything interesting here and like i think people were so focused on like oh my god he shot it over 14 years or whatever and like uh, however long it was right um, and i just i i saw nothing in that movie that i'm like if that movie was just made as a conventional um standard like i we shot it with different actors over right. a, a couple months um I just feel like no one would give a shit about that movie. Like, I feel like it would be fine at best. Um, and this, I just, and maybe it's expectations. Maybe it's, um, you, you're not a fan what, of Quran style. Cause you, yeah, you don't really I don't love like gravity children um, of men. or children of men. But like, again, I saw children of men when I was much younger and again, not a huge film fan back then. I was, right. I liked going to the movies, but I don't think I was, prepared for what children of men was back then so i do want to give it another shot um but i tweeted out being like guys i just don't think i'm a fan of alfonso Cuarón." but like and his harry potter movie is the only thing that i i actually probably enjoy of his and um 
Yeah, man. I don't know. Like, I, 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 I don't get it. Like, right. I just, I, for me, it's just, it's so thin and so like nothing that I was just like, I don't get why this is fun or it, not even that film always has to be fun. But for me, I need to enjoy myself. And, right. uh, you weren't immersed I in it the way that some no, people No, and I just wasn't. And whether it was... Did you, I, at least, did you at least like the look of the movie? Just in terms of the black and white? Um, or the Because the, it does feel like there's a, a, a vast openness to it. Uh, Alfonso Cron is his own cinematographer on this. Yeah. Usually Emmanuel Levinsky shoots his stuff. Uh, yeah, I again, I, I didn't see anything in that first hour that made me want to watch any more of it. But... Coming from the cinematography to the sound, I thought the Dolby Atmos stuff was uh, gimmicky and um, and not even all that immersive. It just was sound coming from multiple different directions um, based on where the camera was placed, which is your typical surround sound. It's just there was more speakers, so you could be more precise in where the sound was coming from. Right. And uh, – it was just pitched to me as this cinematic experience you need to see on the big screen. And I'm like, no, this is a movie you could watch on Netflix and 90% of people will shut this off in the first half an hour. Right. And, um, which one would they and shut it, off? I first? just Outlaw, think it's King kind of, Roma. and to me, it's that kind of, it's the kind of film stuff that I, I, I hate because it almost like people want, no, I'm not saying you're doing this cause I know you and we can right. have a civil conversation about it, but it's almost like that, like that high art kind of, uh, like I'm better than you because I like this movie and you don't get it kind of thing right. or like that like no this is cinema this is like this is a masterpiece kind of thing and like and I'm not saying you're not doing that and you can have no. a conversation and go okay I get why you don't like it but to me and again and I'm I still I'm not a film historian. I still need to go back and watch a lot of older stuff, so I don't have a lot of this stuff to compare. Like, I have a very modern sensibility when it comes to film. That's fair. I mean, it is a modern film being made, even though it is referencing older movies, right? Agreed, but then I don't have a lot of that reference, and those aren't the films that I've always connected with. Like, if you look at – if you go on Letterboxd and look at my history in film, it's it's kind of like – I've seen a lot of older stuff, but then once you hit 1989, it starts to skyrocket, and I've watched right. everything since I was born. And maybe that's a shallow-minded way of 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 studying film, but I've never tried to pretend that like I I'm a film historian or I have all this. You're like, not faking um, it till you make it. No, I'm just like thing. I like yeah. what I like, and I didn't see anything in this. And I try to come from for people who are listening to this. I think that's why we have a good rapport is because you are a encyclopedia of. Of well, film. sometimes when I can't remember Alex, Alex Ross, Ross Perry's name, but I, <laughs> although I, I just did, yeah, in sync. Um, but you have this rich uh, history of cinema, and and you're you you get all that. Where I think I come more from the background of maybe people who are listening to this, or maybe people you're you're. I, I think I have sensibilities that both come, and so do you. Right, you, you can yeah. appreciate a, a Marvel movie just hey, as man, much as you. can. I give Teenage Mutant Ninja um, Turtles five stars, yeah, and I, I I am not apologetic. I know, about I, that. And I know. You you are, but I like I always try and think of um, coming from the common moviegoers kind of right, like right. background, and I don't try to uh, be pretentious about any of this stuff either. So maybe I'm not as sophisticated in saying why I didn't like Roma, but to me, it's it it's just there was nothing interesting in that first hour that made me want to stay in that movie theater. It being my 
uh, it was only my second film of the day, I think. But it was um, late at but night, But it was though. very late. And, and to me, I sat there and I was like – and this was probably to its detriment knowing it was going to be on Netflix because I was like, I- I'll finish this at home. And right. I was like – and I do plan on finishing it. And um, like I wasn't so angry to the point where I'm like that was garbage and I never want to see this any of this ever again. Burn like, the theater down. Um, I just didn't understand it and um, – I was bored. Um, I thought I was disinterested in the look and like the long takes and just kind of like I didn't need to just see this uh, maid or, or, or nanny walk around and, and do her chores. And I'm like, that's not why I go to the movies. And, right. Um, and yeah, and it didn't transport me to 1970s Mexico. Like it didn't – I don't know. I just – I was really distant from it, and uh, I, I was just like, I gotta go home and sleep, or or play Spider Man on PS4. Right. Um, and I do plan on finishing it and um, and seeing what that second half is like. And uh, but yeah, man, I just did did not like it at all, and I just don't don't get it. But I think there is one a- scene I think you did like. And you know what I'm talking oh, the, about. Yeah, so you gotta. We can segue into Dick Talk after this. A new segment <laughs> called Dick. Because that scene is pretty um, funny. Yeah, that is a good scene, and uh, and there are some weird moments. Even when I left, when the guy was singing in front yeah. of the fire, is is weird and and interesting. And they they are these long takes of just again they just he lets the scene play out, kind of what we talked about with Paul Dano, right? Um, Which before. that that's like, the, that's what I think and, for me partly works, works but yeah. uh, but also I like the idea of just being immersed in somebody else's. History. world and history and like it, you know like references again to you know eight and a half and tokyo story and 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 movies like that where you actually get to sit down with a character and live in a period that you never lived in and seeing a, a place in the world that you've never been to and right. seeing of that time or what that time meant to the filmmaker and hearing them through their character's interact with one another and Mm. and getting to know them as people and getting to know the community that they're they're in i think that's that's very special and and but i also understand where you're coming from because it's also a very very slow movie and it is a film that you again netflix makes movies where they're like i'm motherfucker i dare you to. but i appreciate that too because this movie is would not be made by a studio and same with hold the dark right like i i feel well hold the dark maybe like an a24 yeah but they would ask probably for like more violence or they would like give him less of a budget to work with because even though a24 is a great company they're still an independent yeah uh, or netflix would throw a bucket of money at you yeah 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 yeah. the first pitch and and you know maybe yeah, maybe Roma's not your cup of tea, but maybe Hold the Dark is, or vice versa, or, or or maybe one of the other films that we've talked about before, like Ocha, is is your 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 thing. So there, or there's set it up, right? Yeah, or yeah. Like or or even like Outlaw it. King. I know we've been shitting on it throughout, but but some people are gonna really love that movie because they're either you know history buffs or film buffs or both, and, and that's what I give Netflix they like credit Braveheart for, right? and they want to see the Robert the Bruce angle of the story it so. is braveheart i even thought of that one speech he gives everyone in outlaw yeah. king where i'm like that's fucking brave well william wallace is in the movie yeah, yeah i know yeah. um and and although i would say braveheart's actually more violent um interesting yeah but yeah, yeah I, I i give them credit because they do make 
something for everyone. Right. And yeah, I don't think Roma, anyone would have touched this movie and given it the kind of release that Netflix will give it, both theatrically and... Like how you have your hands tied behind um, your back? He's like, yeah. I have to say something nicer, no. they'll get me. No, I'm not... I'm not I, I don't want to... Like, I don't like shitting on things for the sake of shitting on them. Sure, I didn't like it. Right. I'm not going to be an asshole about it either. But I know like, what you're um, saying as well, where it's like some people just like it because... It's for the sake of saying, well, you know, I'm high-minded. It's the people that say, you know, elevated horror is the best horror, right? Like, right. it's the people that add those adjectives or... And, and and I don't even want to put down anyone for... Like, again, you can think whatever you want to think. And that's what I think is interesting about this film festival and just opinions on movies in general. Is that, like, sure, you just need to find some people that you kind yeah. of agree with and trust their opinion. And that's how you can find... Um, critics and, and reviews that you agree with but for the most part it is opinion and yeah and i think you can and opinion is not fact yeah, that's the other thing that's you can argue it as fact if you right. want but like again for the most part you can tell me as much as you fucking think that you are smarter than me and this is fact and this is a good movie because x y and z but ultimately i make my own goddamn decision and so do you if you're listening right. to this and if you want to see something go see it and have your own opinion on it or um, and sure, you can find again. I, I like I mentioned, you can find someone that you go, oh yeah, I mostly agree with Matt, or I mostly agree with Eric. So when Eric yeah. says Rome is great, like I, I will give it a shot. But then, and like I was talking to our friend Ryan Hancock, and and he was more in the middle of both of us, where he was like, I appreciate it, but it's really just not for me. Right. And I didn't love it because I just I, again, he I can go into his tweets, but like um, I was talking to him about it, and he's just like, no, I watched. He watched the whole thing, and. He he also was just like I don't quite get why people think it's a masterpiece, but he 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 stayed through it, and I I I do want to finish watching it because I I really don't like reviewing things either that I hadn't watched the entire thing. And you'll do it like, in your own time, and that's yeah. that's fair. And but also, I mean, to, to to even mention that as well, like um, I remember with. Um, Beautiful boy, we really don't like that movie at all. It's one of the, it was in our opinions, it's one of the worst films of the festival. Again, like it's an after school special about drug addiction. Yeah. Um, but we've talked to people like Dane. Uh, Dane, what's his, what's his last name? Cook. Not Dane Cook. <laughs> uh, Dane. We're blanking on Dane's last. Sorry, name. Sorry, Dane. I really <laughs> uh, feel bad about this, and because the point I want to make. Is that when we were talking to him about... Dane Schumack. Yeah, sorry about that, Dane. We we were talking to him in the Halloween line, I believe, yeah. about it. And he loved the movie, or he really appreciated it, and he appreciated it for the reasons that we didn't like it. But he brought a perspective to the film that I think was valid. Totally. And I was like, okay, I get that. And, and thank you for, for, for letting me know. Because sometimes when I really don't like something, I can be an arrogant asshole. Yeah, we and, all can, And, too, and be right? like, well, really... I'm above this movie. And, right. And, 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 you know, but but hearing Dane talk about that, I was like, okay, yeah. I, he had a personal I, connection yeah, to the and, movie. And, and I, that's and what I, I was talking about with Wildlife. Right. Yeah, and I, I there are tons of movies that... Um, uh, that and even something like Green Book, too, where... Um, I can totally understand someone who is like, no, it's too conventional, too schmaltzy or something like that, where I, I, I mean, I think you'll be hard pressed to not really kind of um, let your guard down and just enjoy that movie for what it is. Um, but yeah, with Beautiful Boy, yeah, we both hated it. And I, I and, and even with, again, like I, I really didn't like Hate You Give, but I right. totally understand that there will people who will fully and utterly love that movie and connect with it i just didn't and i don't like i think it's telling a great story and an important story but 
I didn't love the dialogue. I thought it, it was uh, a little too on the nose or heavy-handed. And, and yeah, it, it had a lot of the same problems a lot of young adult novel adaptations have. And, 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 and they throw too much in there at you. But I totally get And, like, that's why I love film. And, and there are some things that you can argue as fact or or try to like if you're writing a a paper in school you have to argue that is like no this is this because of this but when we're just talking about fucking movies it's our opinion like right and with anyone and that's what i i I love about it and yeah as much as we hated beautiful boy we were in the minority there i think they there are more people who are on our side too but um i think we will be in the small group of people who really think that movie is a pile of shit but to uh dane liked it and there are many other people and another like we'll quickly go through some more stuff now and uh sorry roma will be on netflix in november i believe so um so definitely give it i mean if and then if it's in theaters as much as i said the dolby atmos stuff is gimmicky it is some unlike anything you've probably like dolby atmos is is wicked and if you can get to a theater that has it and for a netflix production i mean it 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 lends itself well to the theatrical experience. Like it does feel entirely like a movie. Cause I know some people have complained before about Netflix films feeling more like TV movies with the digital look. This looks and feels presentation wise, at least I think like a movie, like if you were to put a different logo on there, like a 24 or whatever, like, you know, it would still you could fool the person mm-hmm. you know it, it it's probably netflix's most um lavishly made movie and and i mean i, I hold the dark is also very beautiful looking too so. very cinematic as yeah. well yeah um they're they're getting better and i applaud them for yeah. that like um uh some other movies uh the other addiction drama that we actually did like boy erased uh actor turned director um joel edgerton wait that's an addiction drama um Oh, sorry. Fuck. I'm not not addiction. Sorry. Um, gay conversion. Well, gay. <laughs> I was gonna make a joke. There, That's horrible, Matt. Uh, but no. But but sorry. It, not addiction. I was thinking of a million little pieces. Sorry. Right. The other addiction drama, which is also awful. Which is also a dick. Shen movie. It, it's got Aaron Taylor Johnson's Johnson in that movie. And that's why you Sorry, left. I blanked there. Yeah, Boy Erase is not an addiction drama. I don't know no, why I kept thinking it's both. a horror movie. Um, and, yeah, but and, we saw them back to back and they both have Boy in the title. That's And they also have the post credit uh script where it's like, you know, yeah. this is what's happening. Sorry, or... I thought th- those movies are similar but about very different right. subject matter. My apologies on that one. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, like you're saying they're both about drug addiction and the costs and ramifications that it has not on just yourself but on the people around you whether it be family friends or uh colleagues and how it can be destructive on a personal and professional level mm-hmm. um boy erased boy no boy erased. see i'm doing it now uh beautiful boy does it in a way where it's from an adolescent point of view and you're seeing a young person destroy their lives with drugs but the problem with that movie like I've been saying, is that the writing is so hackney and the performances are so over the top. And this Steve choice Carell, of music makes me want to. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about Jean Marc Vallée and how he employs music in in you know Big Little Lies and Dallas Buyers Club and of course Crazy and it feels organic and it also has his sensibilities and his eclectic taste, whether it be David Bowie or, you know, Fleetwood Mac or classical music and like even Cafe de Flore. Um, this, it's just so on the nose. It narratively wants to push the plot forward, but you kind of 
feel n- nauseous when you know like John Lennon's Beautiful Boy is sung by Steve Carell or any of the other kind of seventies music that that plays in the way that it kind of shifts perspective between. And then the when two the score leads. comes in and sounds like something out of a horror movie, it's just like, yeah. It's, it's well, ridiculous. when 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 Carell's character he plays a father, uh, a, a freelance writer of a son who's addicted to. Uh, everything, everything from, <laughs> I mean, the main one would be with crystal meth is the one that kind of like he's Which investigating, and that's like the heroin, the weird framing device with yeah. Timothy Hutton at the beginning. Um, but when he opens this notebook, and because his his son is 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 an artist and loves to draw, he opens this notebook and sees like you know his personal demons being projected on this notebook. It sounds like something out of the Terminator, like a Brad Fidel esque score that's almost weirdly synthy and menacing. And you're like, what is this movie trying to say other than it's you know saying it in extremes? And there's a moment um, between Amy Ryan and Carell in a doctor's waiting room and it just sounds like it was written by a 12 year old doing an assignment on you know uh race against drugs yeah um and i'll leave it at that but i'm with you it's sappy it's goofy timothy chalamet is doing the best he can with the material he has Carell, who i like in other stuff a lot even in dramatic stuff, sounds imagine like brick tamlin as in a dramatic role especially when he's shouting um I can't take it seriously. I can't either. Like, I can't. I, I laughed at times, yeah. and I'm not supposed to. Oh, I laughed my ass off in the last act, which is just so ridiculous and over the top, and um, and it's so heavy. I keep using the term heavy-handed, but I hate, but it is. I hate when films do that, where it's like, okay, you don't need to fucking shove this down my. Throat. I wish Mr. Like, Mackey showed let, up and said drugs are bad. Okay, yeah, like let me come to this determination myself instead of beating me over the right. fucking head, or let it, the characters, like, yeah, figure it out themselves and not tell each other. You know, you gotta get off. He the literally drugs. goes to a guy and he's like, "Why are drugs bad?" And like, "What's so bad about crystal meth? What does it do to my son? Why and is there like, nerve endings shot?" Yeah, anyways, oh, no. it's it's really bad. That's probably one of the worst things we saw. Um, sorry, and Boy Erased is a uh, the gay conversion camp drama not yes. an addiction drama right but like but it which does, is quite good and it, and it um, does play like a horror movie at times the way in that, a good way though. yes it, it shows the horrors of people that are intolerant almost like a cult horror movie. yeah yeah joel edgerton this is his second feature film yeah. as a director who directed the very underrated the gift and i feel that boy erased is going to be another very underrated, underrated movie yeah. uh you have lucas hedges in the second uh movie we were talking about him in the third being ben is back which we haven't seen um he plays uh the son of a baptist minister who is played by russell crowe and probably one of his best performances in a very long time agreed that um doesn't a minister who also owns a Ford dealership? <laughs> yes, so he's very rich. I don't, I wonder if he still asks for uh, uh, offerings from his from his church. Yeah. Um, but the thing is with him is that he does not want his son's. Li- he doesn't believe in his his son's lifestyle and wants him to uh, remove the gay. So he sends him to a gay conversion camp. His mother is a little bit on the fence with it, who's played by Nicole Kidman. She goes along with it, but it's basically because that she's serviceable to her husband. Right. But she does have her um, thoughts saying that, well, maybe this isn't the right thing to do, or I'm a little iffy on it. 
Um, so but I think it's very human, and I think Lucas Hedges is amazing in it. Yeah. And, um, again, and it it does balance that fine line of of feeling like a a horror film at times, and but not feeling like again. T- it doesn't feel over the top like Beautiful Boy is. There are a few moments that are very extreme and and, and hard to watch yeah. too. There's one sequence in particular that I think it really I, 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 in the moment of, of of our culture that talks about rape and consent is so shocking and horrific. And the way that the camera stays on it, you don't want to watch it. But it's good that Edgerton, I think focused on that and didn't shy away from showing us how awful uh repression can be and how awful um violence towards not just men and women but men and and men or women and women like we don't see that often yeah. in films like this um or, or or studio uh pictures and to see some moments in this movie is horrible even like you know flee as this one sort of drill sergeant-esque counselor that works at this place is terrifying and he doesn't do too much in terms of like menacing the kids but he does enough to make you know that he is someone you don't want to be alone with agreed um let's we're going pretty late here let's talk about burning a little bit yes um you loved burning. i did i did and the more i think about it the more i love it so this is a murder mystery um set in south korea by lee dong chang um he also directed another movie called poetry back in i think 2010 um and this is kind of a weird love triangle where one character the lead is kind of Falls in love with this girl that he knew from his small village, but is kind of maybe afraid to share his feelings or his thoughts. He's and shy. He's shy. I mean, they, they still have kind of a relationship, but it's not the one that I think he wants. I think he wants to be more involved in her life and, 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 and wants to be more vulnerable and, and with her. But he's, again, apprehensive, also having an upbringing with a father that's very uh, violent and abusive and who's now in prison prison and and, and isolated him for a lot of his own life that has a farm and he has to go back and take care of the farm yeah and then you have her leaving for libya was it libya yeah i'm not sure but she goes off she goes off on a vacation that she's been saving up for for two weeks or so doesn't have too much contact with him other than one phone call comes back with another uh, gentleman, another uh, South Korean uh, man who's played by Stephen Yoon y- Yun from The Walking Dead and Okja. And he is this very smooth, Slob, charismatic yeah. guy who also is kind of the rivaling uh, th- this lead for, for her hand, so to speak. Or at least you think that anyways. Um, and he has this weird... Um, obsession with greenhouses and mm-hmm. uh where that goes is very interesting yeah, i don't want to go too deep into it no. but it, he he is excellent in the movie and he he just has this there's something off about him but he's weirdly charming and you want to spend more time with him but yeah i i love again I, he's the kind of guy and they make a joke about it in the movie that listens to music while making pasta yes and <laughs> uh, yeah he's very wealthy and yeah, and, yeah but there's something where you don't know where his wealth comes from right he's and, he's refined and 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 and, and 
you know, sexy and educated and compared to this lead, you know, who's very much uh, um, inarticulate for the most part and, and quiet. But he's trying to become a writer. Writer, and, yeah. And, and and yeah, and and I don't want to give away where the film goes. And I, I had some issues with it initially, but the more I thought about it, the more I um, really enjoyed the film. And, and it's in kind of like the middle of the pack for me, but like still in that group of films with Wildlife and Sisters Brothers and and that I think are, are very good films, but um, I think I need to think about a little bit more, maybe right. give a second watch to. Because I think it like, has a slow burn on your, 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 your own thoughts while watching it. Like, there's moments of very strange, kind of non sequitur moments. Like, there's a dance sequence uh, awesome. at night, and it's, it's amazing. And it'll remind you of Twin Peaks. Um, there's this kind of uh, weird, ambiguous. Um, friendship that's formed between the three, and you're not—you're never sure a hundred percent where the movie is going, and or, who to believe, or, or yeah, like, or and what. where the where the truth lies. Yeah. And in that, I think the movie also does something really wonderful, which is why it's so long. It's nearly three hours. Yeah, and I think that was one of my issues with it is but... that it does take time to set things up, yeah. and it does allude to um, certain motifs and ideas that will pay off later on and the way that they pay off may not work for everybody or may not be as satisfying but i think it, well, i think the payoff is really interesting but it takes you some time to think about it it breathes and, and, the movie and, breathes and and you made a good point of being like well okay see my sensibilities are very north american very uh, i would say even what we talked about earlier in in the populist sense of the common movie goer and things like that so some of my issues come from me going like Jesus Christ, get to the goddamn point. Right. Like to like this doesn't need to be almost three hours or two and a half hours. You could have gotten there earlier. But you, when we talked about it more, you made some good points of being like, well, I like the build up and I like how it takes its time and lets you think for yourself and figure it out for yourself as right. well. Like they don't. I love that it is ambiguous in a sense, but still gives you the answers you're looking for, but kind of lets you come to those conclusions yourself or, right. or who to believe or, or what you should believe. And, like, and tonally and, speaking, I have to say that um, films from South Korea are some of the weirdest in terms yeah. of their wire work or their wire act, because sometimes they can be very funny mm-hmm. and then... A second later, they can be horrifying or they can be dramatic. Like you look at films like, you know, the obvious ones like Old Boy or more recently The Wailing or uh, Memories of a Murder. And you can't put them in a box in a way of saying, oh, this is the genre they're in because they're not that. And it also reminded me of, um, speaking of South Korean filmmakers, this Burning and Hold the Dark reminded me of uh, Stoker. Mm-hmm. Where you're not sure, tonally speaking, or or genre wise, what the movie ultimately is. Even yeah. when it comes to the reveal, you're left with something that's kind of a combination of different um, themes and ideas that permeate throughout the entire movie. Agreed. Um, yeah, I was I was meaning to tell you that because as soon as I was I was thinking after Hold the Dark, I thought, oh, this reminds me a lot of Stoker because yeah. I thought Stoker was. One thing, and then it becomes something else. Yes, and and Burning does a great job at that. And I, I ultimately came around on it because I think my initial impressions were sort of like, eh, like it took and it too got long a lot of there. hype out of Can as yeah. well. So, and um, I feel like it, I was like, man, I really wish they got there a little earlier, right? Um, and 
I didn't appreciate the slow burn as much. And I still think I'm teeter towards that. I feel like it could be a little shorter, tighter. Right. But um, ultimately, I do think that it is a, a very, very, very solid. Um, okay, I think before we wrap up, we really need to wrap up. But uh, And I think this is telling that it's taken us so long to get here. And I know you like this a little bit more than I did. But uh, Damien Chazelle's uh, first man, we right. haven't talked about either. Yeah, we saw this at um, the Cinesphere. Um, this was an interesting experience because, one, um, you're seeing this on a screen that's formatted. The biggest screen, one of the big, the biggest screen in the world or one of the big? No, one of them, but... Um, is it in... It's the very first ever IMAX theater ever right. built. Renovated recently. The screen is probably about the same size as the Scotiabank IMAX or a full format very large screen uh, for IMAX. Right. Uh, it was in digital on laser, but it was um, the IMAX version of the film. And uh, and it shot on multiple film formats, like the actual movie itself, 16mm, yeah, 35, 35, and IMAX. IMAX. Uh, the IMAX plays into the last act. Um, flag controversy aside, because I know you're very patriotic when it comes to your movies, um, me or just the listeners? <laughs> well, either or. I mean, you can interpret that how you will. Uh, um, what, Neil Armstrong biopic. Is yes, Neil Armstrong biopic uh, plays a little bit like Titanic uh, <laughs> at some some parts, but it's also more about experimentation than it is about patriotism. Yep. And I think some people are being um, taken off guard by that. It's not – like if you're expecting another movie like La La Land – you're not yeah. getting that. I mean, there there is music in the movie in terms of score and and, and the score is actually quite good. One thing I yeah. really actually did like about the movie, um, which is also Justin Horowitz again, mm-hmm. um, who also did La La Land and Whiplash. A lot of the movie, the majority of this movie, um, anytime they're doing tests or working through the Gemini uh, project leading up to the the moon landing, is all in close up. Um, and, shaky and, and shaky cam and it, the editing can be very jarring at times and when you're sitting a couple of rows beside Denny Villeneuve <laughs> beside, beside Denny Villeneuve who we did not bother no um, he sat a one seat over from me and it was very uh, strange but anyways you're looking up at the screen for a good two hours it can be very Just an painful. aside, though, I kept thinking about I'm watching this movie one seat over from the guy who directed Blade Runner 2049 and Ryan Gosling. And right. That's probably why strange. he's there. To oh, totally. See, to yeah. see that for, for Ryan. I think I he's mean, friends not to say with that... Damien, too. Yeah, but... no, but but you know what I mean? Because he just worked with Ryan as well, and um, he's he you know he's he's a fan, I think. One thing I did notice, he gave like a huge hearty applause when the special effects people came on. Right. Because um, I think he was quite impressed with that but again we didn't talk well a lot of it is practical like Um, a lot of it is like built sets and built old school yeah yeah it's it's all uh analog like it it feels like you could you know walk into one of these nasa built sets and actually work on a computer system or do test flights or um or you can envision the moon landing thing being on a like a a back lot or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, I really like the movie. I, I, I don't think it's as good as Whiplash or uh, La La Land. Um, I think this is kind of his first job for hire. He didn't write the script. That was Josh Singer, who is co-writer on um, The Post and uh, Spotlight. It's a very 
dense piece of filmmaking in terms of the history of of the moon landing and it doesn't let you in emotionally too much uh the neil armstrong character is very much um a stoic person Um, an asshole I'd say Buzz Aldrin's more of an asshole oh, yeah, in this. Like sure. Buzz Aldrin is betrayed yeah. as a total yeah. a-hole. And yeah. sparingly, too. Um, but the thing with Neil Armstrong that you realized why he's well, like that. was that. the time period, too, of how yeah. men, men acted. Yeah, men and so, women. Yeah. Like, you know, men had this role, women had this role. Men were supposed to behave this way. Women were supposed to behave that way. Um, but you understand why very early on he is doesn't let his guard down emotionally speaking um and it's it is very sad i think why what happened to him and and you see that i think especially with jason clark's character who's trying to actually be friends with him and he doesn't want to have that attachment and what happens i mean this it's hard to say whether or not this is spoiler because it's historical um especially because it's based on the biography um the only authorized biography of neil armstrong um but I do think that at times it gets a little self-indulgent with the way that it uses close-ups and shaky cams. Like, and I think that was my biggest problem with the movie. Yeah. Because I, I told you afterwards, I'm like, I felt – and again, maybe it's where we were sitting and we didn't have – well, we, we were looking we up with We should have sat ranks. a little further back. We, well, um, we couldn't though because it, we, there were no seats And there were so res- many reserved seats right. when, we, and, uh, when we were in. But we, we were in the third – third or fourth row i think of the cinesphere imax and i thought it would be cool to be so uh engrossed and enveloped in in the film and i feel like partially that's intentional to make you feel that way because he i feel like he does capture as close as you possibly could how it felt to be in that cockpit or in that in that shuttle and and right. and, and participating in 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 a lot of these events and and I was talking with Nevis about this because she saw the film much later in the festival not on IMAX but she still felt a similar way where this is weird but there's this ride at Disney World called Mission to Mars and there's two different types of the ride you can do the the baby version basically or the intense version where they and basically they strap you in um to this this shuttle the space shuttle and it's trying to make you feel like it would if you were on a spacecraft and, and actually traveling to mars or traveling in space and it was one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever done in my life because, like, I'm sort of – my dad uh, uh, is claustrophobic and I feel like that's kind of passed down onto me a little bit, which is why we get weirdly aisle seats at movies I like. So you're never like, going to work on a submarine? No, I just – I don't – talking about Kursk, we could later, but no, we're not even going to go into that. It's no. so forgettable. But um, I have a little bit of claustrophobia too and I get, like, nauseous or sweaty sometimes when it comes to those things. And Mission to Mars – I was like, I will never fucking go on that ride again because it really like it. You're enclosed and it, it, you feel the pressure on your chest and it, it, it's just nauseating. And that's kind of how I felt during the majority of this movie. And I think one of the weirdest things is I felt that not only on the shuttle sequences, but even when he's fucking like with his family, not fucking with his family, but when he's with his, <laughs> uh, when he's with his family, Neil Armstrong, uh, <laughs> such the uh, prankster. Yeah. Uh, uh, when he's just with his family, it's still in shaky cam and, and, and in ups, And I just felt nauseous throughout this right. entire To movie. me, I think what they were going for was like almost like that home movie aesthetic yeah. kind of look. And, yeah, and again, yeah. you, like, a different time, right? Like, you know, 1950s, 60s, um, you know, 
textual kind of thing where it's like it was mostly shot on 16 millimeter for those the family sequences. stuff yeah. yeah where again like you feel like you're pulling out an old it looks uh, interesting i like the grainy kind right. of like old school look to it i just i i really want to go see this again at scotia bank or something and sit in the very back row like i would suggest to you if you can like it might sound interesting to be like close and enveloped in like in 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 closer up but like I would say try and sit a little bit further back and then you might be able to appreciate it a bit more. Cause right. like, I don't hate the movie. I just was disappointed. And, and Neil um, Armstrong as, as a character isn't necessarily a compelling one. Yeah. Um, he's very pragmatic and because of that, it's hard to give a dramatic performance. Well, I think uh, Gosling is good at those types of characters. Oh, yeah, yeah, too. yeah. It's all internalized. But I can see, like, a lot of people being upset that there's no, like, big moment of, you know, like, him exploding emotionally or, or, or something like that. Like, he has, I think, a little moment at the end of the movie. But, it's again, it's it's very much subdued. Yep. Um, but I think that works for the character. And I think a lot of people will write that off and just say that it's just him, again, kind of, like being wooden or something like that, which he's not. I think he's giving the performance that the movie requires him to deliver. Um, you know, like, compared to, obviously, we mentioned um, uh, Corey Stoll as, as Buzz Aldrin or, or Claire Foy even as, as his wife. It, it, it Those performances have more personality to them because um, they, they're they more lively characters or more lively people. And, mm-hmm. and Neil Armstrong was one of those guys that was the calm, cool, and collected type that, you know, could sw- didn't sweat it under pressure. And that's the kind of guy that you do want in a high-stress situation well, like, like that. Yeah. And that's why moon. he was so successful, right? Yeah. And, and that... Like, really... that guy probably had really low blood pressure. Oh, like, God, I'm telling yeah. you. I wish I was as chill as that guy could be. <laughs> I mean, I sometimes am. But, um, yeah, I, I was disappointed, I think, is the... The thing for so me, this is like, this is your this is your predator in a way. Yeah, like and again, like I La La Land. I love I love La La Land. Obviously, very different, and it's hard to compare the two films. They're they're nothing alike, right? Um, and again, it's weird. Like Chazelle, another one of those guys. Like I I wasn't a huge fan of Whiplash either, right? And, right. Um, but La La Land won me over, and then I was kind of disappointed in this, and then um, again, I don't hate it. Um, it's near the middle to the lower end of the pack for me of stuff that I saw at the festival. Um, do want to give it another shot. Um, yeah, it just didn't really work for me. I thought everything was pretty by the book when it come to traditional, like showcasing of someone's life leading up to an important moment. That's why we're showcasing a true story of their life. Um, right. Um, the family stuff there are, but it's some... not a cradle to the grave biopic. No, either. no, no. It's not your traditional conventional, like, uh, like something like hidden figures or, 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 or I know that was a group of people, not just one person. Right. It's not but, even Apollo okay. 13 where no. you right. know, Pablo Schreider is playing Jim Lovell in, in, in this, in first man, but it's not like hokey and sentimental. Although I do like Apollo 13. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's a different style of filmmaking. Um, but, even from La La Land. But I just felt like it was, to your point, it almost is too slight in the sense where I'm like, okay, like it's kind of happening how I. I don't know. Like it, it Chazelle doesn't in, he he takes it on an interesting way. It just didn't work for me cuz I felt so nauseous and right. like and I, it really took my enjoyment out of it. Like I I I would have appreciated it more if maybe 
there was one major sequence that really uh, was visceral, but like when they did it over and over again, with right every, from the beginning, yeah, f- with every sequence where he's either testing the ships or um, or actually going and, and performing these missions, like I just felt like it 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 really takes a toll on you by the end of it, and uh, I think partially that's intentional. It just didn't work for me, and it played uh, at the festival like what ten, it had ten screens. Yeah, I think because it was playing in the IMAX theater, that it had more screenings because um, it has a lower amount of seats. Right. right? So it, like it's missing out when it's not playing Princess of Wales or Elgin every every couple days. It's or three or four times throughout the festival. It's only getting however many seats are in that IMAX theater at Scotiabank. Right, because I know going into the festival, Universal was hedging its bets with this film to be a big awards contender. And now they've switched gears with uh, Green Book as the film that they should be. You know, I know, isn't that crazy? Like, yeah. I feel like First Man. I still think First Man will do okay. Yeah, I think craft wise, at least. I think they're. It's more split than I initially thought it I thought is I divisive was, i thought i was going to be in the minority when it came to sort of not like liking it but i see more and more people kind of um not uh, a large amount but i feel like it didn't quite have the showing that maybe like some people thought that a star is born um were kind of the two front runners well um, if beale street could talk as beale well street, but i yeah. felt which we beale won't go into because right. you, you mentioned last week I- and i'm i again i'll just quickly say i was sort of disappointed in beale street but i still think it's it's decent um like it's middle for me like i give it like three stars but like i for me because i loved moonlight so much i just was kind of like yeah right but both beale street and roma were the runners up but i was surprised with both of those because i i was thinking both aren't like those your classic crowd please right like i was thinking that a star is born was either going to be the winner or the runner up and then vice versa with green book and then green book ends up being the winner with the star is born and first man not even yeah placing in the top three is crazy because i think going into the festival those were the two movies people were talking about right yeah and 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 i mean beale street i mean people were excited about but even having watched beale street and i really liked the movie i was kind of thinking oh this is necessarily going to be a crowd pleaser or, or one that, that placed everybody. Um, and obviously some people were a little nastier to it than others, you know? So for so. Beale street. Me, yeah. Me well, you know who I'm talking about. Um, I don't know. I'll talk after. I don't know. Uh, I forget, but, um, uh, yeah, man. So I think that, um, there's a couple more. It opens in love. October too, right? Yeah. First man. Yes. It okay. does. Um, sorry, we should have been giving you guys um, release dates on a lot of this yeah. stuff, but sorry, this is almost four hours in. So. Right. And I also really um, liked, I want to just quickly mention with, uh, with keeping in the space theme, and I know you didn't love it, but it's High Life. Which then there's another theme that hap- was at the festival, which um, a foreign, uh, like at first English language right. features, right? With Sisters Brothers, High Life. So Jacques Odiard, um, Claire Denis. Uh, uh, Xavier Dolan with John F. Donovan. Yeah. Don Jonovan. And um, I would love to talk about all of those, but I think we're kind of running out of time. Yeah, and we can talk about – Sisters Brothers is opening on October 5th here in Canada, so we can talk about about that more then. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure even next week when we talk – we'll talk about a bit more. Yeah, High Life will open probably sometime next year. A24 picked it up, so either you know Elevation Pictures or Mongrel Media will pick it up here. 
Uh, anything else that we should sign up before signing off? I mean, here uh, we'll talk a little bit about our list. I don't know if you want to pull up your letterbox yeah, hold on. Let list me as get well. If we want to, we'll wrap up, guys. So uh, thanks for sticking with us this long. It was. Um, I mean, we love talking about this, but I, I thanks, mean, Brandon. I, I, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I cover. We covered a lot of the stuff that was in. Sorry if we focused more on like my stuff, but I, um, uh, I know our lists were pretty similar, but just switched up in that top twenty or so. Um, but yeah, I thought uh, John F. Donovan was interesting. But if you, if you, I think you already know going in. If you're a Dolan fan, and if you're a Dolan fan, you'll probably enjoy this. His his style translates to English just as you would expect it. Oh, would. we should um, talk about life itself. I think just quickly. Uh, yeah, we'll go into yeah, and then other things. I think climax um, was uh, I enjoyed the hell out of climax. Um, uh, I think it's the most accessible Gaspar Noé movie. Um, no way. Uh, no way, Jose. Uh, yeah, we talked about, we talked about a lot of shit this episode. Nonfiction is fun, the Olivia Isaias movie. Yeah. You'll never um, look at uh, the white ribbon the same way again. Yeah, in <laughs> Star Wars the Force <laughs> But again, Awakens. like it's interesting like we were talking about also like uh, you know how like the French sort of handle sexuality and and marriage and and, and how blasé it is. Yeah. yeah. That it's like no big deal. Oh, yeah. you cheated on me. It's all good. We still love each other. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. Other than that, <laughs> I got a like, fuck buddy too. <laughs> the biggest uh, duds. Of, I oh, think. Like uh, Gloria. You, you really like Gloria oh, Bell. Yeah. Gloria Bell was the one that I didn't talk about. That is in my top ten. I think it's the only one we didn't talk about. Um, I mean, you you mentioned it is a shot for shot remake of uh, Sebastian Lilios. Lilios. What's the dealio, uh, Lilio? Yeah. Gloria. Uh, but this time starring Julianne Moore. And again, uh, English language. Not his first, because Disobedience last year was his first English You'd be language. correct. And he had also uh, The film. Fantastic Woman, which um, won the Oscar as yeah. well, playing at the festival last but Gloria year. Gloria Bell, incredibly charming. Uh, an amazing lead performance, similar to what we talked about with um, Robert Redford, I think, or, or some other people. Who yeah, she makes it look effortless. Yeah, um, and just really kind of charming and... And, uh, and unapologetic, and, too. Yeah. You know, this, this, this older, mature woman... You know, looking for love in her life and, and, and going out dancing and partying and and enjoying it's 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 a celebration of life as much as it is a celebration of womanhood and and um, the music is fantastic. Uh, but yeah, it is a shop literally it is a shop for shot remake of uh, Gloria. So I could see some people just kind of thinking it was sort right, of Right, but I still right? think it's good. Like I, I like I actually really love the cinematography, which is done by Natasha Brayer, I believe, who yeah, is it, the same, it is gorgeous. Who who's the cinematographer for the Neon Demon. Yeah. Um but yeah, it, it's there's only like a slight variation here and there. I'd say the biggest one is I was telling you about the the European and Spain joke that's in yeah. there because it can't that can't work right. in the Chile one. Um, but yeah, it's it's an absolute delight. Uh, VVS Films has it here in Canada, and A twenty four has it in the U S. and it looks like it's going to be a twenty nineteen release. So we'll talk about it more when it comes out. And uh, it's great. Though. I, I hope I people really seek it, it out. Yeah. Uh, anything else you wanted to give a shout out to that Let we me didn't look talk quickly. about? I know you really liked High Life. But, um, I did, I did, um, and also again, A twenty four is releasing that sometime probably next year. That's in your kind of top. Anything you wanted to give a shout out? That uh, we didn't talk no, about? it looks like we basically covered everything. Um, Something... I actually liked Can You Ever Forgive Me uh, a lot more than I thought I, I would. It's better than the trailers let on. When that comes out, I'll we'll, see it. Yeah, we'll and we'll talk about, about it more. Uh, you mentioned climax. Um, I think that's about it. Some things that I think I wanted to – we talked about Beautiful Boy being not very good. A Million Little Pieces I thought was um, 
not great. Uh, Donnie Brook. Donnie Brook, Outlaw King being disappointment, Destroyer, which you talked about last week. But life um, itself. A disappointment um, and a success. Well, that's what I mean, and I think that's where, like, some of these things are so forgettable when it comes to. Um, we talked about the wedding guest, or even me with the. Uh, uh, They're middle of the road front movies. Front runner, like front well, runner, was yeah, very yeah, forgettable. Yeah. Kursk, uh, 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 the lie. Everybody the, knows. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I just felt Greta. Was, yeah, Greta was fine. Like, it was fun, but, like, again, forgettable. But Life Itself, we'll, we'll finish, weirdly enough... With Life uh, Itself. With Life Itself, which is so fucking weird. And it, that, it comes out shit soon. It comes out weird. this Friday, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's a topical thing to talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, and <laughs> I almost want you guys to all go see this because Just it's... because you, you need to know that this movie is real. It exists it happened, and it's from the creator of This Is Us, Dan Fogelman, doing a kind of similar manipulative, emotionally uh, wrought piece of filmmaking, but also tonally speaking, and it twisted is... twisted and dark and strange yeah. and funny. And, but it's not funny but in a... a it, but, like... but it's also ironically funny because it's so stupid how yeah. some of these, these events un, unfurl. Like, it's, keep... it's kind of like Crash or Magnolia in its sort right. of ensemble cast. And um, I keep... When I describe it to people, I'm like, I'm, I've said this to Eric and other people multiple times, but I'm like, imagine if someone adapted Final Destination but into a drama akin to those movies you just mentioned. Right. And like, it's, but it ends up being a comedy where life is like life the is the serial killer serial killer and, or, but it, but it takes the physical um, form of a bus yeah and, <laughs> yeah and it's just so fucking batshit insane and ridiculous and and i think the first act is the most insane and most ridiculous and then it kind of has a little bit of a lull when it goes into the antonio Banderas stuff and yeah, the uh, gonzalez family um yeah and I <laughs> it's think also it, chapter divided as well it is chapter based storytelling yeah. but there's a reason for that that i think is uh, even hokey too towards right. the end but, but the like, way that the gonzalez um, family kind of intersects with the rest of the so story stupid. it's amazing it's so ridiculous <laughs> and like there i don't want to sp- don't you don't want to spoil it, but from... I almost wish we could do, like, next week we should do, like, a spoiler podcast Yeah, on let's life do itself. that. Let's do that. So because... we'll allude to life itself right now, but maybe we'll go, hey, spoilers, if you care about right. life itself I'll, next I'll week, say this. But... There, there, there's always suspension of disbelief when it comes to narrative filmmaking, yeah. and you just have to kind of go with it. But this literally goes the long way around to intersect to something, and it, it's so ridiculous how the movie plays out and how everything how, connects yeah that you just you have to be you're stupefied you're you're in awe of how ridiculous this thing is yeah and it's a shit like i hate like i don't want to sound holier than thou either right like if it works for you then sure but i just i almost am like really like it's so when you talk about being emotionally manipulative like i i don't love that term right but like this, but that's what this, this is us yeah, is. And, and I feel like that's what life itself is trying to accomplish. And and I hate that it takes advantage of people's kind of um, 
emotions in that way of just throwing every sad thing that you could possibly it's like, misery it's porn it is misery porn that's the perfect um way to describe it in the way that people would uh talk shit about hostile being tor- torture porn or something right. like that and like it's the movie um, that makes you cry and it is a horror movie and it's yeah. it's weirdly like where life is the horror it's the horror and like um, it's a morbid curiosity that if you can if you're not affected by it emotionally in terms of like you know you want to cry or you feel sad um you will actually find it to be a comedy and it's an un i laughed a lot and i kept kept leaning over to you and being like fucking bus is gonna crash through that wall right now and run this person (laughs) over and like um and it just yeah it's ridiculous and the way that it yeah like you mentioned how it all connects is there's even the morbid it's morbid and twisted and weird there's even a shot of a character's face morphing into another person as time goes by and it's one of the did it remind you of um animorphs yes it reminded me of animorphs yes oh my god (laughs) i've never seen anything so creepy before yeah, it's very weird, and um, just the way that those two families connect and and how that plays out is twisted and like fucked up, really kind yeah. of like like imagine telling that story, like which the movie is telling you that story of of, of like yeah, and it, like, and, it, and it hinges on the unreliable narrator, and like every five seconds, it's, it's so, like it's it reminds so ridiculous, you of that. Yeah. yeah, like and and uh, and the movie starts that like I, the way this movie starts. I can't believe you try and say it's anything other than a comedy. Right. Like with Sam Samuel L. Jackson and doing and, a voiceover uh, yeah, narration yeah. and uh, Annette Benning showing up as a psychiatrist. But yeah, like it, it, intentionally it is comedic to begin with, but then when it tries to hit you with real world um issues your mouth is just a gape and you're just like it still is funny and it's not supposed to be at that point but you are laughing at it instead of with it Mm -hmm. and you're not crying with it you're laughing laughing at it it. (laughs) just any insert any emotion and just say you're laughing yeah yeah like like i wasn't moved by this i wasn't no um you know i didn't feel anything for the characters i thought it was weirdly funny and there were things i shouldn't be laughing enjoyable because of that yeah like it's a bad it's a perverse enjoyment Because, like, again, it's a bad movie, and I would never argue if it, it, anything yeah. other than that. But, like, I weirdly put it in sort of the middle of the pack of my TIFF films around some of that more forgettable stuff or, because I'm like, it was the best of the worst. That it's we saw. memorably awful, yeah. and you won't forget it, and you can't, you won't believe that it's real. I just and you'll want to talk about real. it with people. Like, you'll want to discuss it more so than a curse or a, or a front runner or something right. like that, which. Are equally not as great. No, I mean the like, best thing about the front um, runner is Hugh Jackman's wig. Yeah, the, all wigs, the wigs. Yeah, in the yeah. Movie. yeah. But um, life itself, like, I, and I like, I like Mandy Patinkin. I like Oscar Isaac. I like Olivia Wilde. Like, and it's just weird. And like, Olivia like, Cook and Annette Bening and yeah. like Olivia Cook are like these are all great actors and actresses. And um, and it, it's just I love buses. Yeah. <laughs> The, yeah. I don't actually love buses. They they're they're good for transportation, but they're not the greatest thing in the world. No, and they're murderers. Yeah. Um and, but even the way those scenes are handled, it's just like comically like slapstick. Like, well, I just... like the, the, there's even the voiceover narration and it's and it's describing something horrible and it said it eviscerated and it's like no it didn't. It's just, it's just person lying on the ground <laughs> yeah it was really bad but really funny like i i i know i still can't st- like there's some moments in that movie where i'm still thinking of like as it's being released this week and i'm like damn they actually just 
they, they made this? This this is like how did nobody say, hey, maybe this isn't working? But this is one of those things where like I feel like my like again not a slight of my mom, but my mom would go see it and be like. Oh my god! It was, and then I'll she would like, be like, "What's wrong then, with you? You're yeah, a sociopath." Yeah, that I'm talking about it this way, like when I'm like, "No, mom, it's fucking hilarious." Like, yeah. and then she'll be like, "What is wrong with you?" And then I'm like, "Well, mom, like you're not seeing it this way, but like, um, anyways, I don't. Again, I don't want to sound it like you're an idiot if you enjoy this. No, if you if you generally like, get a, a sincere enjoyment out of it, that's great. I wish I did, but I got but I had a morbid enjoyment yeah. out of it because it was so ridiculous, but. Um, but anytime I describe it in that way, being like, imagine if Final Destination was trying to be a drama, and everyone's like, that sounds... Who's Tony Todd in this That thing? sounds really interesting. Is it Antonio Banderas? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyone I, just, I, I say that description to, they're like, that sounds great. <laughs> like, right. It kind of is. But like, well, even like, when it's trying to like reference Quentin Tarantino, which yeah, it does yeah. directly, it feels like it's just... It, Hopey. It doesn't work, yeah. yeah. I know, I know. But it's fine, yeah, whatever. But um, And or Oscar Isaac wearing a hoodie in, like, scenes where him and Annette Benning go through his memories and are, like, there in the scenes. That's, like, a big reveal later. Like, yeah, too, it's just like... so... It, it feels like it's being, again, more clever and and thoughtful than it really is. Yeah. It's uh well maybe we'll do a spoiler talk. We about should. It's so good. Like, we should we, you know what we should we almost can. do? We should wait till it comes out on Blu-ray or, or DVD to do a, a commentary. commentary. That would be a fun one to do a commentary on actually. So uh that'd be funny. I think we should probably wrap up there yeah. because you can't get any higher than like no, itself. No, no. Uh, so thanks to anyone who actually stuck through this, uh, or even listened to it in parts, uh, in parts, uh, three hours and 45 minutes of us fucking talking about TIFF. But it is, it Um, is an epic undertaking in terms of the festival. We could have went longer. We could have gone through every film. But we'll spare you. We will. I I hope you guys enjoyed that. We sure enjoyed the festival. I mean, um, this was, it didn't feel like four hours of us talking because I mean, this is, Mind you guys, we've already talked about all of these movies this whole week, like right. uh, together after we saw them. So um, this is crazy that we can continue to um, talk about uh, the films that we saw, and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about them for the next uh, couple months until I get, until the Oscars essentially award right? season and and release dates. We'll beat these to death over yeah, the next yeah. couple months. So, you want uh, more life itself? You're gonna get it. Um, I would have even loved to go into like what, like a silly predictions for next TIFF or what movies we saw are big Oscar contenders. But we'll do a big preview of those. Yeah, in, we in, should in even actually next, do like, maybe like an Oscar prediction cast, maybe yeah. sometime coming up, and just be like, okay, so this is these are the movies we think will be contenders, mm-hmm. and then come back to that maybe in uh, October or November yeah. once we've seen a few more of the ones that we kind of missed out on, right? Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, once again, this has been the fourth draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. Uh, each and every week, Eric and I get together and kind of shoot the shit about movies. Every Monday, 9 a.m., except for today when we recorded because we had TIFF, uh, but we're hoping to stick to that. Um, we'll have another episode for you uh, next Monday where we'll be talking probably. I would like to try and go see A Simple Favor so we could talk about that. Right, and I'd like to see um, White Boy Rick. Yeah, as well. Uh, and then um, uh, actually there's a couple other movies this weekend. Well, a couple of them that we saw. <laughs> the Nun? Uh, Are we going to see The I Nun? I mean, it's interesting because Life Itself, Sisters Brothers, Colette, Assassination Nation. Well, Sisters Brothers doesn't open here until uh, doing a bit later. The October 5th. Cool. Same day as Venom and A Star Is Born. Okay, uh, and then Colette opens on the twenty eighth. Okay, so Assassination um, sorry, Nation I'm going still by opens. The US, yeah, um, yeah. Release dates. But um, go to 
House of the Clock and its walls open. I, I wouldn't be down. I would be down to see that at Kyle McLaughlin's. Yeah, we'll try. What's good about doing this podcast is that I won't not go see anything because we have to talk about stuff. So right. I will force myself to go see a few things. And I got to use my Cinemia card too. So Yeah. yeah have you used it much this month? Not this month because we've been doing so much TIFF stuff. Right. So, which is fine. 15 bucks a month. I don't mind like tossing it for that. So, um, but yeah, we'll be back next week probably talking about A Simple Favor and uh, probably The House with a clock and its walls. Is that this Friday or next Friday? I think it's this Friday. It's this Friday, yeah. Because Universal has this and uh, Night School, which is next week, I think. Cool. Uh, thanks again, guys. We'll be back next week. Uh, please let us know what you uh, enjoyed at TIFF if you went to TIFF. And, I mean, we've talked to most of you who are probably listening to this or what you're excited Yeah, you're for. probably sick of us And anyways. if we missed something that we did see that you want us to talk about, um, hit us up as well. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, I'm Matt Rohrbeck. You can find uh, all of my work at a, a myriad of places, mostly on this podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Rohrbeck. I'm Eric Marchin, uh, host of Cinema Scene on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene. Um, I'm on Twitter at EM6211. This has been our Netflix-esque episode where we dare you to listen Finish to the it. whole thing. <laughs> if and you if made you it do, this far, we love you. Yes. See you next week.